Your move, creep. Mission luck, Bruiser. You both Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. It's the only thing I know how to do. It's a good looking boy. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate. That's night Welcome to Earth. You crossed the line. You know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Retrograde Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about older movies. We talk about how they were made, how they were received, and whether or not they hold up. I am Austin. And I'm George. Okay, so October is officially over, but we're going to keep with these spooky movies. One, because horror movies are great. They're just fun all around. I've been converted. You know, <laughs> I am no longer scared of them. Nice. No, I am totally scared of them, but I enjoy being scared. And that's the, actually... that's the trick. You know, you have to enjoy the feeling it gives you. Yes. It's kind of like hot sauce or like spicy things, you know, mm-hmm. like, does it hurt? Yes, but it's a good kind of hurt. It's a good kind of hurt. Exactly. Place where pain and pleasure are the same. <laughs> Indistinguishable. <laughs> hey, maybe Hellraiser was onto something. They were. I'm telling you. I'm telling they, everybody. No, they absolutely were. Uh, that movie was awesome. And if you haven't checked out our Hellraiser episode, go check it out. It's awesome. Like, we have been putting out these horror films, and we've covered the entire, the whole spectrum. Go listen to our Descent episode from, like, last year. It's fantastic. I'm very happy with our Halloween episodes. And Candyman. Keep... Oh, Candyman was great, too. That was one of our early ones. Oh, back yeah. when we had different um, different mics set up. We had, like, a different schedule. Oh, yeah. fun to reminisce. Mm-hmm. But this week, we're going to be t- tackling another horror film. Well, like a horror romantic kind of film. Horror romance, yeah. Horror romance. Something gothic. And we're celebrating it because it's the anniversary of the film. I believe it's the 40th anniversary. Or no, 30th. 30th anniversary. 30th, yeah. Yeah. Austin, what movie are we going to be talking about this week? This week, we will be talking about, this is funny, Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula from 1992. Uh, Starring Gary Oldman as Dracula. You got Winona Ryder as Nina Harker, Anthony Hopkins as Van Helsing, Keanu Reeves as Jonathan Harker, you got Carrie Elway, you got Tom Waits. I forgot Tom Waits was in this movie. Whoa, okay. And then very early on in her career of stealing hearts, Monica Bellucci. Oh, Monica Bellucci, man. Mm, That You're right. That is like a 90s all-star cast. Mm-hmm. Is, this is so cool. I'm really excited to watch this movie because I've never actually seen this film. Never seen it. I'm confused by the whole, like, like because I'm not too familiar with Dracula. Now, I know Dracula in, like, the pop sense, like, mm-hmm. from, you know, Hugh Jackman's Van Helsing film. That's how I'm familiar with Dracula. Dracula is, like, the <laughs> go-to vampire, you know? That's, <clears throat> how, that's your first... That's your first experience with Dracula. Well, yeah. I, Hugh Jackman's... I, well, okay. Well, well, first... Interesting. First experience in terms of movies, right? As a kid, I, you know, I knew about Dracula from, like, the car- like the cartoons, like Chocula, you know? Like, the, the from the serial. Mm-hmm. The Count. Ca- yeah, but... Oh, the, there's the, the Count from... The Count... What's oh, his name? Sesame Street. Yes. Sesame Street? 
Yeah. So I kind of knew about it in like the pop sense, but never mm-hmm. really from like the literature or the film because I, I never read the book. Um, uh, you know what? I don't think I ever read the book either. Yeah, yeah, ne- never read the book. I didn't see any of these films. So I'm really excited to actually see, like, what, like, an actual adaptation of, like, the literature of Dracula is. What what it's about, right? And I think because this is Francis Ford Coppola, he's putting in a lot of effort. And because he titled it Bram Stoker's, like, this is supposed to be the definitive take on Dracula. So I'm really excited. I'm like, all right, this is, like, what Dracula is all about. This is what he's supposed to be. Okay, let's let's do this. Like, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting title. I feel like it was there to kind of distinguish itself from Dracula from the 50s with Bela Lugosi. Because mm-hmm. that Dracula performance is, is like such a popular like icon, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like all of the different Draculas that came out that you mentioned were kind of like, okay, let's go back to Bram's, let's go back to Bela Lugosi Dracula. Mm-hmm. Like the Count from Sesame Street, he looks like Bela Lugosi. Count Dracula, maybe, maybe not so much, but definitely the uh, Hugh Jackman, Van Helsing definitely was inspired by uh bella lugosi and it even has a song bella lugosi's dead from the the bauhaus which was featured in the opening uh sequence of tony scott's the hunger it's it, it's like that dracula is very very popular and this dracula is like is, he's gonna be into entering the same like space as that dracula so you have to distinguish it somehow mm-hmm. right Okay, so they, so they decided to say, okay, this is Bram Stoker's original vision. Bella Lugosi did a spin on it, which is still awesome. I mean, people, people... Iconic. Yes. I'm really excited. So, you've seen this film before. I have seen this film before. Talk to us a little bit about that. Okay, so I was... Uh, this The second I started, you know, like, branching out and, like, watching a bunch of movies, it became, like, my number one hobby... Uh, this was on my list because I really liked vampires. Like, I feel like the idea of vampires is like really cool. Like, they're they're like they live forever and they're very emotional. I like that that part of the vampire side of things. Like, I liked Anne Rice's Vampire Chronicles. Vampire Lestat is like one of my favorite characters of all time. Twilight, um, obviously. Huh? Twilight, obviously. I've never actually seen Twilight. What? Uh, maybe. Maybe eventually we can cover that on the Oh line. my god, we have to. Damn, have you to. haven't seen Twilight? Yeah. No, I've just seen the supermassive black hole vampire baseball scene, which is <laughs> crazy. Oh, we have to do that one. That's, that movie is so cool. <laughs> All right. Um, but yeah, so I was like into them and I was like, okay, well, I got to watch this because Gary Oldman, he's one of my favorite actors. And I, I watched it and I was like, damn, this is like very sensual uh he's got he, like there's like a transformation that gary oldman goes through like he's like the old gross dracula and then he goes through a transformation and then he's like kind of hot and i liked his glasses he had like these like john lennon glasses i'm like damn what an icon and it's got some keanu reeves in it too he's doing his best to do an english accent not really landing all the time but it's okay you have Monica Belushi doing she's one of Dracula's wives Um, but at the core of everything is like this like this love story where Dracula's wife was taken from him and then he died or became a vampire or whatever 
And then he just like wants to be back with her. And then he sees Winona Ryder has like become reincarnated as his former lover. And he's doing everything to get her back. That's like the the core of the the story. I think in the previous versions, like the 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 Bela Lugosi Dracula, mm-hmm. it was a part of it, but it was more about like this. It it kind of felt like there's this creepy foreigner moving in, and he's he's a monster. You know, it gave off those vibes. But in this movie, the heart of it is the 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 love story, and it it, it has this song from Annie Lennox uh, from the Eurythmics. You know, sweet dreams are made of. She oh. does a song for this movie called love song for a vampire and it's never left me as i've after watching this movie just thinking about it i'm just like humming the tune for for this song it's such a good song and i think the the trailer not the trailer but the poster for the film like the tagline is love never dies mm, okay okay so it's it's like it kind of makes you feel sorry for Dracula, but he's still like a bad guy. Like he's he's kind of a monster. <laughs> well, he's a tragic character. Yeah. So would you actually say that this movie is scary? I don't think it's I think it's more sexy than scary. Okay, interesting. It has like moments of like, oh, ooh, this is making me uncomfortable. There's a, a few scares, but it, they don't really come from it's I don't think it's as scary as something like The Thing or even Hellraiser. I feel like those movies are, are scarier. Okay. See, that's that's the thing. Sometimes with these horror films, we mentioned it before, sometimes they put like the scares first, but the story is second. Whereas this seems like it's really right. like a drama. Like this mm-hmm. man is trying to find the woman he loves. And maybe there's like a love triangle. Maybe there's people getting in the way. It kind of sounds a little dramatic more. Very dramatic. Okay. And you liked it. I do like it. It it does go into some campy stuff where it's there's some stuff in this movie where I'm like, I'm not really sure what happened there, but I'm enjoying it. There's like the I don't know, like the the way that everything looks like it's definitely definitely spent a lot of money on putting you in this moment in time. Mm-hmm. And and it's I'm excited to watch it again, I'm excited to go back to this time and hear that song again in the context <laughs> of the movie. Oof. Cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see it to see kind of what Francis Ford was doing in the 90s because I've only seen a few Francis Ford Coppola films actually. I've seen, mm-hmm. but like his big hits one, you know, Godfather, um, Apocalypse Now, Conversation, but I haven't seen too many outside of that and I have not seen this film. So I'm really curious to kind of see this other side of Francis and this other side of like all these other actors like Gary Oldman and Winona Ryder. I'm like, the one thing I do know is that Keanu Reeves was torched online. Unfairly. You know, he was just doing his best. You know? Yeah, and, like, but I mean, but someone should have definitely stepped in and said either don't do that or get someone else. What movies made the top boxes, top top of the box office for 92? Uh, yeah, let's set the tone for 1992. I don't think we've done a movie in 92. Okay, I'm going to read you the name of the movies and then afterwards you tell me if you think we've gone to this year. Okay. Okay. All right. Oh, no, I think we have. We have. Number one at the worldwide box office for 1992 was Aladdin. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Number two, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Okay. Number three, Batman Returns. Number four, Lethal Weapon 3. Number five, A Few Good Men. Number six, Sister Act. Number seven, The Bodyguard. Number eight, 
Wayne's World. <laughs> Number nine, Basic Instinct. Number ten, A League of Their Own. Also coming out this uh, Dracula was number fifteen, by the way. Uh, also coming out this year, Unforgiven, Under Siege, The Last of the Mohicans, Scent of a Woman, Death Becomes Her, Alien Three, My Cousin Vinny, and wait, what the hell? Wayne's World Two? Oh, maybe it came. Well, well, maybe Wayne's World came out the previous year, and it maybe. was like a holdover. Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> they came out in this. They were in the. They, they, they were churning these sequels out. That was like an SNL movie. So they were probably like, hey, we got to get rolling on this. Huh. I guess Wayne's World 2 came out in New Zealand in 92. And then it hit. That's so weird. Yeah. Okay. It came out. That, that must be an error. I can't believe that. We'll get into it later if we ever do Wayne's World. I think we have been to 1992. Candyman. We have. We have Candyman and White uh, Man Can't Jump. White men can't jump. Gotcha. Okay, okay. So we have been to this year before. We okay. have. Pretty good year for movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really cool year. No, but um, number 15 in the box office is really good. This movie's got some solid reviews. You know, 77% on Rotten Tomatoes, 79 with audiences. Um, It's Francis Ford Coppola. So, you know, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a level of quality in the aesthetic, at least, that, you know, is unmatched. Because, I mean, say what you will about Coppola, but that man has money to spend on movies and he knows how to utilize it really well yeah but i'm really curious to mm-hmm. see how this compares to the actual book uh and why uh, i i'm kind of curious as to why people like vampires like why did vampires become a thing i'm not it's not like i dislike vampires but i don't guess i, I guess i just never saw the appeal it's maybe like superhero movies you I know think like it's maybe- when it's when they became sexy you know like when you made the vampires sexy that's some people started getting into them because then they're more appealing like the lost boys uh vampire in brooklyn like once you start adding the sex appeal to the vampires you you know so i wonder if sex is inherently built into vampires like the idea of vampires you know because like you maybe that sex scene doesn't work with other villains you know like or creatures you know like frankenstein isn't known to be sexy werewolves i don't think so zombies aliens it seems like sexy is part of like the vampire thing i mean think about it true blood on hbo like there's a ton (laughs) of sex on that you know queen of the damned Mm -hmm. Aaliyah interview with the vampire like it seems Mm -hmm. like sexiness is built into the vampire mythology the creation of the creature and i'm just kind of curious why is that like i mean think about it this way right vampires when they extract blood from their victims go for the throat most of the time Mm -hmm. you know and the throat is you know like like the neck is also like you know a, a pleasure place too yes exactly so I, i'm curious as to why is that a thing like why aren't vampires treated the way that like zombies are or aliens it's like why there's, is it like yeah there's multiple angles like i think the descent like those things were kind of like vampires right yeah but they, they weren't treated as sexy they were treated as cannibals as like yes they tore into like they tore into their creatures and they liked blood but that was an mm-hmm. animalistic approach vampires is very much like i want your blood ah look at my <laughs> six-pack 
I don't I don't know, you know? And and I'm really curious to see that angle because and then comparing that to like say like um Nosferatu, which is like this super hideous vampire, but like maybe there's I've never seen Nosferatu, so maybe there's something like maybe there's sexual hey. undertones in the I don't know. I'm I'm just really think, curious. Yeah, I I think that there's like like vampires are very old and they have a lot of money you know there's there's that angle to it they're like these land lords evil landlords but there's also the fact that they're they live forever and what do they live for pleasure mm. so that you know what i mean like True. it's you can go into it several different ways i think and i i think the way that's the most successful is when you make them hot well, I mean, think about it this way too. Twilight, which is a PG thirteen interpretation of vampires, is really just a love story at the center of it. And I mean, when we look at these creatures, there's something like there's a big question surrounding them. Like, there's a lot of themes, but there's like usually a central question. Like with zombies, I feel like zombies were created so humans can look at how we act when we're in a group setting mm. you know like that's why like zombies films deal with people that are like trapped isolated there's like issues with race that come into it like how do we act with zombies are around and you know like that it's like mob mentality right with frankenstein i'm not too sure about frankenstein but it seems like it's more of like this um misunderstood creature with werewolves i'm not sure what it is with werewolves but it does seem to be like the inner demons or the the pain of change, or or something. I, I'm again, I'm not too familiar with this stuff, but it does seem like love is inherently built into vampires. Yeah, that's what a I'm little, curious about. A little bit with with werewolves. There's like there was uh, American Werewolf in London. Yes, I don't know if you've seen that. There's there's some pretty uh, there's a lot of sex in that movie too. But well, and I, I remember, I rem- it's it's always interesting because with horror films, there is like that double meaning, that metaphor. And mm-hmm. I remember I bought the American Werewolf in London, uh, the Blu-ray, and there was co- there was commentary by I think uh, John Landis, and I think they were talking about the Jewish interpretation of American Werewolf in London. I'm like, whoa! Oh, like, yeah, I've only seen that movie once, but I was like, is that movie Jewish? Like, I don't. Yeah, there's there's a scene. <laughs> get into it when we do that movie but it's it's a really interesting movie i like that yeah. movie yeah so I, th- that's all i'm really that's one big thing that i'm really curious about is actually like let's talk about vampires since <laughs> in november we're going to be talking about vampires in general yeah <laughs> so i'm really excited this is gonna be awesome yeah i'm gonna be looking forward to uh the performances does is keanu reeves's performance that bad should we be like making fun of them like I mean, you know when wants to make fun of Keanu Reeves. Like, just ask Matt Perry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but also, Keanu's such a... He's such a... He seems like a very wholesome guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious to see uh, Gary Oldman's Dracula again. The song, like I said. And kind of trying to, like, make sense of the things that didn't make sense to me before. And that's... Yeah. So, to, to watch Bram Stoker's Dracula... So, it's actually on... Uh, Amazon Prime. If you've got is a it... Prime account, you could watch it. Nice. It's also on Paramount Plus. Oh wow! But yeah, it's a. Uh, if you got the Prime, you can watch it on there. Uh, I re-rent it, and we will be back in one minute, getting into Bram Stoker's Dracula. See ya. Here occurred the frightening and shocking history of Prince Dracula and the woman he loved. 
Welcome back. We have just finished watching Bram Stoker's Dracula from 1992, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. We, we said this already. We're repeating ourselves. <laughs> hey, know, well, you know, Anthony we, Hopkins, Keanu Reeves, Winona Ryder, Gary Oldman. A-list cast. Yada, yada, yada. Yeah. I'm really excited to talk about this movie because I feel like there's a lot to get into. Uh, because yes, this there is, is a lot. This is an odd slash interesting movie. And I've got some thoughts about it, but overall impressions, Austin, just before we start spoiling the whole story, what are your mm. general thoughts on the film? Um, general thoughts. I really like this film. I love parts of it. I love parts of it. I, I, I don't know if I love the movie, maybe, but there's also some stuff where I'm like, why are we doing this? <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. just, just some parts, but it's not enough to like make me come away unhappy with the movie. Like... Sometimes you like watch a movie and you like sit there for the in the during the credits, like thinking about the movie a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you usually do that for movies that are like, you know, really good, you know, and this is one of those movies where I sit through the credits and like think about it and just enjoy the music and the credits because I feel like, you know, they they put music in there for somebody, right? They put mm-hmm. music in there for a reason to get you to stay like nowadays. Marvel uh, does the oh, we have like a little uh, secret teaser for the next thing you know mm-hmm. but before we we had movie soundtracks and the, the only way to listen to that song is to like sit through the credits um so i do love this movie but there are some issues i have with it mm-hmm. that depending on how i'm feeling kind of take me out of it interesting because i'm right there with you <laughs> like almost to the t i would i mean it's hard to say i love this movie but I really, really like it. And there are aspects of it that mm-hmm. I do love. I'm literally yeah. just regurgitating what you're saying. <laughs> uh, I do have an issue with one of the bigger plot lines in the film. Interesting. Um, okay. And it's not that I have a problem with it. It's just that I felt it maybe was lacking. And I think I have a specific reason as to why it doesn't totally jive with me 100%. Mm-hmm. But... I'll say this. This movie is super imaginative and creative. This movie is like Francis Ford Coppola is pulling all the stops. This is Mm -hmm. a dramatic, operatic telling of Dracula. And the scope of this movie is huge. Like they're using matte paintings. They're using early VFX. They're using makeup and costumes to their fullest extent. The soundtrack, um, the visuals, the lighting. Like when people think of movies like this i think something that people tend to kind of not realize is that most movies nowadays play are pretty are played pretty straightforward like they're pretty grounded 
in our reality, in our world, right? Like, realism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, even for, like, even the Marvel movies are kind of grounded in their approach. If you're really thinking about what they're doing in that, because you have the Norse gods, you have time travel, you have space, you have, um quantum realms you marvel has mm -hmm. all this absurd absurd stuff but they're telling it in a pretty grounded way all like compared to, like in terms of visuals and yeah like for example this movie is visually and stylistically far ahead what marvel's doing and and, and i'm not saying that's a bad thing for marvel or it, you know what i mean it's just we'll get into it more but in terms yeah, of the I've you get what you get what I'm saying because you've seen the yeah. movie. But for mm -hmm. people who haven't, it's kind of hard to comprehend because you're thinking, well, Marvel has time travel. They have superheroes and Ant-Man. And how what, could, what do you mean the visuals in this 1992 film far exceed those of Marvel? And it's like we're talking stylistically. We're talking about tone. Yeah, yeah. I would say that like there's some movies in the Marvel world that kind of do that better. Like I think... Doctor Strange uh, yes. and the Multiverse of Madness is like the the reason why I love that movie so much is because it's the exception to the rule that you've just explained. Yeah, and you know what? Doctor Strange is a perfect example for people to understand. If you've seen mm -hmm. Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness or the original one, the first one, you know that those movies have some trippy visuals. Uh now that's part of it, yes. And when you think of those films, it's like they have visuals that aren't normal for most Marvel films. Now, this is kind of... Doctor Strange and and Dracula... Oh, it's hard to phrase it, but it's like... This movie had... Dracula has a high emphasis on visuals. On, on the auditory experience of the audience. Right? And it's heightened reality. It's not yeah. our regular world. This is a world where the the rules of nature aren't aren't what we think it is. There's more. There's it, it's there's more to to the world than what we can see, you know. And and, and this movie visually shows you that it's bombastic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and look, and, and if you're and if you're like, okay, George, you're confusing the hell out of me, then we will get into it. We will break we'll it down. It. Yeah, if you're. As we said before, this movie is on Amazon Prime. So if you are a Prime subscriber, you can watch this movie for free. But if, well, it's not really free. You're paying the Prime subscription, right? It's like a hundred and something bucks every year. Uh, but <laughs> anyway, if you don't have that, um, you can find this movie on YouTube, Google, and iTunes. And you can rent it off of Amazon Prime. You know, it's, I would say it's worth the $4 if you really like weird visual uh, erotic monster movies. <laughs> yeah, well, and also, if you're looking for kind of one of the... Because um, this movie was transformative in its depiction of vampires, you know? There are a lot of references in pop culture to this film. A lot more than you'd think. This movie had almost like a definitive take on vampires. You know, just to see that alone, I think it's absolutely worth it. I, I don't think you're going to feel cheated. You might be right. weirded out a little bit, like, oh, mm -hmm. that's, that's very strange. But embrace it. Just go with it. And if it's not for you, hey, that's totally fine. But I think you would have seen, like, one of the more definitive takes on Dracula. I think this is, along with, like, Bela Lugosi and stuff. But this movie is very mm -hmm. different from uh, from what I believe, what I've seen from those early Dracula interpretations. But, yeah, I recommend it. I think it's worth it. 
you got everyone has Prime, you know. And if you don't, I recommend the rental. <laughs> I think yeah. it's a, a really fun watch. Yeah. Okay, so this is the part where uh, we will briefly go over the story and stuff so that it it can provide context for the conversation that we are about to have about the movie. And then towards the end, we'll get into all the production stuff and get into like more research parts so we can like, I don't know, sometimes it's good to know a little bit of history and, and context and stuff. It's the, it's the more nerdy part of it, the episode, but it's really fun. So, and you're here anyway, right? You like, you like that stuff, right? <laughs> If you're listening to the podcast, I'd hope yeah. you, or if you're listening to the to this podcast episode, then it, you're curious enough to to hear yeah. about the nerdy stuff. Yeah. Okay. So, our movie starts in 1462, and we have Vlad Dracul, uh, this like Romanian warrior, and he's like getting ready for war because the Ottoman Empire is invading. Right, so it's it's like the Crusades. I, I believe that's the is that the Crusades? I, ooh Dude, man, I'm, I'm the, I'm the wrong person to be so... asking about history. <laughs> it's not the Crusades, <laughs> um, but it's it's like a, a kind of a religious war. He's like fighting for God, and the Ottomans are are Muslim, so it's like a holy war of sorts. Um, so it's a war that's like very dangerous, right? And uh, Vlad is played by. Gary Oldman, and he's he has a wife, Elisabetta, who is played by Winona Ryder. And it's a very dangerous war, so he d they don't know if they're going to see each other again. But he's like, he's got to go fight his war. So he leaves, and he's he wins in the war, and he's like, glory to God, I'm victorious, now I can go home to my wife. But when he gets there, his wife, uh, I guess the enemies, they shot an arrow with a false message reporting uh, Dracula's death. So she's like, oh my god, my husband is dead. What am I what am I even doing alive? So she just jumps off of a building, jumps off the tower into the water and drowns. And then he gets back and he's like, Oh, my wife is dead. This this sucks. And then the priest that's there, who's played by Anthony Hopkins, he says, Well, she committed suicide, so she's going to hell. <laughs> it's probably the worst bedside manner any priest could have. Uh, so then <laughs> Dracula's like, what the Fuck! I did everything for God. I I went to war. I killed so many people. Like what? I renounced God. And then he takes his sword and stabs a cross with it because of how much he hates God. And then the cross starts bleeding. And then he drinks the blood. And then he becomes a vampire. And then we get like we're hearing we're seeing this with like this really like loud like music. This is this just blaring. It's like and then we get the title card. So already we know this movie is going to be a lot. We go forward in time, like 400 years or something, and then we see Jonathan Harker, played by Keanu Reeves. He's like a lawyer who is tasked to go help this eccentric count, whose name is Dracula, buy some property in London. And he's like, oh, okay. What happened to the guy that was in charge of this before? Renfield. And Renfield's just in an insane asylum eating flies. Played and by Tom Waits. Played by Tom Waits. And... Uh, Harker's boss is like, ah, don't worry about it. He's just, he's just crazy. And so Jonathan goes on this train ride to, to Dracula. And there's like weird stuff going on. Like the carriage driver, he like reaches out for him. But like his arm stretches as he, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. And he's like on this ri ri ride to the castle. The castle kind of looks like a person. 
the lightning kind of looks like a hand. Just like a bunch of weird stuff. He meets Dracula. He's very old. And he's like welcomes him into his house. Already weird things are happening. Like he's not appearing in reflections. Like we know he's a vampire. Um, so we're just getting all that spooky stuff. Uh, he makes Parker send letters saying that he's going to stay there for a month. And then he has his brides kind of like entrance him in some kind of like sex dream bloodletting state. I don't know how to describe it, but he's basically trapped there. And Dracula goes to uh, London. Meanwhile, Jonathan has, you know, a fiance, uh, Mina, and she they really wanted to be together. But he had to like go to do this work thing. So he's off in Transylvania and she's just with her friend Lucy. Lucy's super rich and she has like suitors coming to her. And I love Lucy, man. She's great. She's great. Mina Mina is a teacher, so she's like very like sexually conservative and uh Lucy's not. Lucy is like very sexually curious. She has three suitors. There's Jack Howard, who's like a doctor who's also in charge of Friendfield now at the insane insane asylum. Um you have Quincy, who's basically a, a a stereotypical american cowboy um and then you have arthur who's carrie elway also you know wesley from the princess bride so okay he's like, it is him all right yes. i was like is that wesley <laughs> yeah um and then they're like they're kind of like vying they're all three of them are like vying for lucy's attention and she's just kind of like messing around with all of them kind of like to entertain mina she picks she picks harwood or homewood um Arthur, Wesley, just called them three different things. <laughs> and she's like kind of teasing Mina about, I don't know what their conversation is, but they're just kind of like, why are you so sad? Like, why aren't you happy for me and being married? And she's like, well, I just got this letter from my fiance. He's like stuck in Romania for a month and just seems so cold and not like him. And then the weather starts changing because Dracula is coming to London as he like approaches there's like this weird like dreamlike sequence where they're just kind of running in the maze in the rain um mina and lucy and then when dracula gets there uh, he's like eating the crew as his boat is going to to london then when he gets there there's like the zoo gets like let loose all the animals are like missing and like a wolf thing attacks lucy but also kind of having sex with her she's also kind of like going towards the wolf and then Dracula meets Mina in the street, but he's like a young Dracula. He's like wearing a hat and he looks, he's got long brown hair. And they're kind of like meeting, they're kind of dating and they end up going, they sort of go on a date to like a cinema, like an old school cinema. Like you, you watch like a one minute long movie and it's like, oh, that was weird, you know? And she's, she's like entertained by this guy. She's kind of attracted to him and she's like, oh no, I can't. I'm, I'm promised to to Jonathan Harker and then she's still kind of like lured to this guy. It's it's implied that he has some kind of like uh hypno, hypnotic powers or something. She's like in love with this guy. Well, he he I mean that's kind of what he does with Lucy. He kind of hypnotizes mm-hmm. her to have sex with him when he's like in beast mode, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But it's different with with Mina because she looks like his old love. Mhm. Elisabetta. So Lucy's condition gets worse because Dracula keeps taking her blood. They, the doctor who is taking care of of Renfield, he contacts his professor, 
uh, Van Helsing, who's played by Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins comes in and he's, you know, he played the priest, right? So he's kind of connected to this Dracula story, uh, this, this lineage. And he sees the marks on, on Lucy and he's like, oh, vampire. And he like goes into his book and he's like giving us a brief history of Dracula and, and all this stuff. Uh, meanwhile, Jonathan escapes Dracula's brides and he like writes a letter to to Mina saying hey let's get married in Romania come over here (laughs) come over and she gets the letter and she's like oh I can't be with my prince anymore so she like stands him up at a dinner and then she leaves to Romania to get married to, to Jonathan and Dracula is very sad he he starts to command the winds even stronger and then he goes in and attacks Lucy killing her but since like the entire time he's been slowly transforming her into a vampire so she's not really dead and uh, to kind of prove that they're dealing with vampires van helsing gets the three guys that were into her to like stalk her grave and then discover that she is in fact a vampire so they cut off her head and as as this scene is happening mina and jonathan are getting married they're now husband and wife they come back to London. They're like, damn, what happened to Lucy? Uh, Van Helsing kind of explains, Dracula's a vampire. We gotta, we have to to kill him. He can change form. He's kind of over, giving an overview of his powers. But Dracula gets to Lucy, or Dracula gets to Mina anyway. And this time he gives, she takes his blood. So she's now damned. She's now a vampire as well. So... Well, and by this point, Mina, it, like, remembers um, that... Like she, like I think it was implied that she like remembers her previous life as yes. his bride. So yes. she's like, so this is like the 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 Mina that we're familiar with is like not really there anymore. Like now it's really Elisabetta. Yeah, kind of like during sometimes when it's just when he's around, she goes back to that. But as the movie goes on, she kind of like goes back into that mode. She's like in between two worlds, mm-hmm. pretty much. Yes. Um. So. They confront Dracula and he like disperses as a bunch of rats. And then they find out that he's like escaped on boat to return to Transylvania to regain his strength. The humans, um, they band together and they like go by train and train is faster than boat. But Dracula's smart. He's using Mina as like a, I guess he can read her mind because they're connected because she took his blood and everything. Uh, he can like see their movement, so he's like getting one one step ahead of them. And they're just constantly like one doing that back and forth, and until finally the brides um, try to get Mina to attack Van Helsing because they're all separated. But Van Helsing's able to like use his um, priest vampire hunter powers to like kind of subdue Mina, and then he kills the brides uh, and the Dracula arrives at the mansion and there's this big battle that's like you'd expect it to be like a bigger battle considering this is the guy who did apocalypse now and everything <laughs> this is the guy who did the godfather but it's just kind of like dracula comes out of his box dracula's dead <laughs> and they're gonna like try to cut off his head but mina stops them and she's like would you do the same to me would you cut off my head when i'm a vampire and uh, harker's like no let her go our work is done. Hers is just beginning. And then she kind of goes into the, the church with Dracula, who's dying of his wounds. And he's like, give me peace. And then she cuts, she stabs him through the heart. 
like drives it in further and then cuts off his head but he kind of like returns to like young beautiful form and the cross that he stabbed in the beginning of the movie heals and then she kind of like looks up and sees the mural of vlad and um elisabetta and then we hear any lennox's beautiful a love song for a vampire that's the end of the movie. Yeah, it's it's okay. So you're probably listening to this and you're like, well, this doesn't sound weird. It just sounds, you know, romantic. It's like a love triangle. And well, well, that's the thing. This movie is pretty straightforward when you're talking about the actual plot. Like the story, the story and the plot are pretty straightforward, right? Man loses wife, renounces God, becomes a vampire, lives for a long time. That his ex or his wife, his widow or no, not widow. His dead wife reincarnates and he wants her back. It's pretty straightforward. But, and I I think this is the first thing that we're going to talk about, are the visuals. Now, I do want to say, I think the reason I want to start off with the visuals is because it feels like that's where the most amount of concentration went into. Yes, absolutely. Now, what do I mean by visuals? Well, this includes a number of things. It includes lighting. It includes set design, the actual sets. It includes the costumes. It includes like the, the, the cinematography just in general. It also includes the way the picture is cut. And what I mean by cut is like, when does he decide to dissolve? When does Francis Ford Coppola decide to dissolve between images? When does he desi- does decide to like include certain shots and... Like, are they literal shots or are they like meant to be surreal? When I'm saying visuals, I'm saying all of this stuff goes into it. You know, the mise-en-scene, mm-hmm. like what's in the frame, the sets, the props, everything. And I feel like this movie is, has the visuals turned up to 10. Now, I'm going to say 11, dude. Oh, okay. No, no, you're right. You're right. 11. It, it's, it snaps the knob. It's like more. Yes, because this, this movie is not meant to be grounded. This movie is not subtle. If get subtle out of your fucking head, this this, this <laughs> move this word will not come out throughout this review because this this movie is not subtle. This is the most movie you can have. <laughs> and and okay, so let's let's break it down. Like the first scene from the movie, right? Is uh or one of the first scenes, right, is basically Vlad Dracula going to war. Now, some of the visuals that are already standing out to me, his armor, Dracul's armor. Yeah. It looks Unlike like anything you've ever seen before. This doesn't this isn't Game of Thrones armor where it's like steel plated. It's not. It's almost like you're like a flayed demon wolfman or something yes imagine your skin removed all of your muscle tissue that's what his armor resembles not now not 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 now it's not exact but if you look at it you're like that looks like muscle tissue and it's it's the it's colored red maroon burgundy like Mm -hmm. like muscle tissue is so already the armor the choice in armor design is already distinct enough when he goes out to war it's not a gigantic battle that you know it's like michael bay no it's like the 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 battlefield is basically just a bunch of it's just a bunch of silhouetted characters with that and they're all backlit by the sunset by the sun setting in the background so you yeah. don't actually even get to see the details in it. And you see Dracul kind of grab like a spear and spear someone through it. But you don't, you get the silhouette. You don't get to see the actual detail and the blood and, you know, and then he hangs the person up. That's the battle. 
all backlit, all silhouetted. Interesting choice. And then you're, you're talking about some of the, uh, the some of the more symbolic visuals. So like when he goes in back to the church after seeing after hearing about his wife committing suicide, and the the priest saying, "Well, she's damned to hell because of she committed suicide." <laughs> he takes a sword and he punctures the cross, a stone cross, and the cross begins to bleed. That that. That sort of imagery is just like, how is that even possible? That's a stone cross. That doesn't <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. But it, it but it's not supposed to because it's not our world. It's it's a romantic, gothic yeah. horror romance film, you know, where vampires exist. And vampires, like this vampire, became a vampire. Because he renounced God and stabbed a cross. And drank the blood that was coming out of it. Right. I don't think that that, that cross was like... Like, I feel like if this was a movie now, that cross would have to be like... Have some kind of origin. You know, there has been an origin story about that cross. You know, oh, it's yeah. A te- it's an infinity stone or something. <laughs> yes, that needs, an ex- that needs a Wong to kind of explain it. Hey, yeah. here are these infinity stones, you know? This is, no, this is just a cross and it bleeds. So that's the first five to ten minutes of the film we're talking about the prop which is the armor how the battle was shot using silhouettes all backlit by a sunset and the imagery of a soldier stabbing a cross and the cross bleeding and those are the the first 10 minutes and we're not even talking about like the dissolves the superimpositions of like elisabetta like going uh, like drowning Mm-hmm. the agony that uh dracul feels this movie's insane and it's, and that's just yeah. the beginning the beginning and then he goes on that what i really like is the the ride to dracula's mansion yeah because i feel like everybody kind of knows what dracula's mansion looks like you know everyone has like this vague idea of what it is and when we like actually get closer to dracula's mansion it's it i feel like it kind of does like a oh this was not what i was expecting kind of thing because like weird stuff starts happening like he's reading the letter he sees drac like we he doesn't see dracula's eyes in the the sky but we do you know piercing blue eyes that are like they're like like purple almost purple magenta eyes that are piercing the red sky yeah the sky is red like that's not like a normal it's it's not even like like a sunset it's like a blood red sky yeah and yeah, and, it's, and it's and then you have these two eyes that are just purple, just watching Keanu Reeves. It is not subtle; it's obvious, and it's yeah. kind of corny. But it, I mean, it is really corny because he's even like reading the the letter from Dracula, and we can hear Gary Oldman doing the Dracula voice. Budapest. Left Budapest early this morning. The impression I had was that we were leaving the west and entering the east. The district I am to enter is in the extreme east of the country, just on the borders of three states, Transylvania, Moldavia, and Bukovina, in the midst of the Carpathian Mountains, one of the wildest and least known portions of Europe. My friend. Welcome to the Carpathians. I am anxiously expecting you. At the Borgo Pass, my carriage will await you and bring you to me. 
I trust your journey from London has been a happy one, and that you will enjoy your stay in my beautiful land. Your friend, D. And it's signed D. <laughs> D oh that's right D <laughs> man he should have known Dracula was villainous at that point if I ever mm-hmm. send you a text and it's like your friend Jay you're like oh but, something's but wrong like, with George <laughs> but you've never he's never met Dracula he's already calling him my friend yeah you know it's- and and another interesting thing about that train ride there's a shot of like of an of the exterior train it's a still shot. And on the top half of the frame, you see the train moving from left to right. It's kind of like a miniature. And in the bottom, you have, like, the letter that's yeah, covering up the, the bottom half. I think it's ha- the, the journal that Jonathan is writing in. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And in that image already, like, with the train passing on top and you've got the journal in the bottom, very beautiful and distinct. You're like, oh, this is interesting. You yeah, know? it's like, how do we film this guy going from point A to point B? And how do we make that interesting? And this is... Like, this is why we're talking about it. Because otherwise, it's just, well, then Jonathan goes to Dracula's castle. What we're talking about now is why that is so cool. <laughs> yeah. If that makes sense. And I think if you have any other filmmaker doing it, it's like, okay, so you have this character. You have Keanu Reeves writing a journal in a train. Film it. And Coppola was like, well, I'm going to have it be foreboding with the eyes in the, <laughs> in the sky. Uh, very ominous because we, we get his voice and the way Gary Oldman's saying it. We have this shot of the train on the top half of the frame moving from left to right, but in the bottom you have the journal. So you kind of, you know, stylistically, it's a, it, it sets the tone, you know, mm-hmm. but it also works to move the narrative forward as like a, you, you know, like exposition. It's visual exposition, if that makes right, sense. Right, right. And the, when he gets to Dracula's castle, like the people in the carriage are like, all right, go with God or something. And then he gets picked up by like Dracula's valet. Well, and, I that, guess. and that valet is, or that carriage rider, or the, the, let's just call him valet, is so, <laughs> like, the, it's so weird. But this movie is so great at setting tone because we don't know what it is because it's not a man. I mean, it has a human figure, but like it has a very weird helmet and when Mm -hmm. the figure when the valet reaches out you have like these long pointy not nails but like claws and and the weird thing about it the way it's filmed the way it's presented it's almost like the creature picks up jonathan it picks up it picks it picks up like keanu reeves from his shoulder and puts him in the carriage and it it, 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 i saw that i was like it almost feels like he's he's like being like pushed in like hey come this way like like he would direct somebody who has like a blindfold on their face it's it's kind of gentle but it is a little forceful you're right it's gentle but it's not forceful because he's not like pushing he's not grabbing him by his collar and like throws yeah. him in the great carriage it's like he like lightly touches his shoulder and almost guides him into the carriage but it looks like he's carrying Keanu into the carriage and i was just like whoa what is happening this is so weird and then the ride just gets weirder when he like when jonathan looks outside of the carriage and he sees that they're like on almost by the side of the cliff like one they're yeah, one like inch a from, sheer drop yeah <laughs> and then there's like a blue flame that they pass through i like when he looks over the the ledge and it's just like sheer drop like any normal person would be like jesus christ but he's just like 
closes the window, like, hmm, that's a problem for outside. <laughs> Ominous as fuck. And then we actually get Dracula's introduction, which is, or, uh, I mean, this new Dracula's intera- in, in, uh, introduction. Because the very beginning of the film, it's almost like a prologue. And um, I forgot the year that it takes place in, in like the 1600s. The movie 14. takes and then it like the 1400s is like when it starts and then when we get to the like actual movie like the main movie it's like late late 1800s almost turn of the century. Yeah, so it's it's been 400 years since he renounced God in that church, right? Mm-hmm. So this is our first time seeing Dracula like this and the way we get in, we get introduced to him is we get this wand there's like a there's like a big light like a hallway that's lit and then you just see this shadow of this like vampiric figure hovering across the background <laughs> the camera pans to you the pans to the right and then we get Gary Oldman holding uh, a lantern like a lantern so you know you've got this shadowy figure moving across in the background in the far background and then and as the pan as the camera moves to the right right close to the camera is Gary Oldman Pure, a pure Dracula, you know, with his hair all puffed up and white, and he yeah, looks it's not, old. It's not like Bell Lugosi at all. Like he looks like a monster, but like yeah. d- d- human, human. Like he's really old and and like eccentric. Like no person has that hairstyle. It's and like pale. an impossible thing. He's Very pale, pale, and like that's and, your introduction and that's what we mean by the visuals you know that that having that shadow in the background kind of hover like it's not someone moving it's someone hovering over and then having it and having it move right behind dracula as he appears on camera those yeah. are the kind of visuals you know you give that to any other director and they'll have dracula walking down some stairs or walking up but this is but francis is like no dracula is a creature he's a supernatural creature that has god knows how many abilities and powers we're going to show you what kind of presence he has and some of his abilities on camera this man is able to defy the laws of physics yeah his shadow does not listen to him basically yeah it's like it's like disconnected from his body and that's what's so cool about this movie and it does that repeatedly his shadow doesn't follow him it's boundless Right when mm-hmm. there's a scene where he's about to bite down into Mia's neck, and he kind of turns to the camera, and his eyes are bloodshot. Mm-hmm. This man is fiending <laughs> for her throat, and his eyes are just red and glowing. There's like a moment where he's like a creature, like in his vampiric beast mode, and he's like retreating to the shadows, and his eyes are just bloodshot red and they're piercing through the darkness but his body disappears and then he turns into a bunch of rats it's it's incredible the way that they're able to show you dracula like they visualize dracula in all his different shapes and forms yeah i think they do a really good job of making him feel otherworldly because like you know there's the oh his reflection he doesn't have a reflection you know that's okay but I've never seen that shadow thing before. And no. the way that he just kind of sometimes floats around, like he'll be gliding around. His movement is unnatural. The way people act around him mm-hmm. is kind of unnatural because like like I said before, when Keanu is guided into the, the carriage ride, he's not weirded out by the driver, even though 
it's really weird. He's not really weirded out by the blue flame that he passes through when he gets into the castle. Or the fact that Dracula's shadow doesn't really follow him. There's even a moment where uh, Dracula's walking up some stairs and Jonathan's behind him. And then all of a sudden Dracula's behind him walking up the same set of stairs. And he's like, oh, oh, okay. You know, it's like there's weird stuff happening. And it's kind of alarming that our point of reference character isn't as alarmed as they should be. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like that is a way of showing who what what kind of abilities a vampire has without just being told what they do it's like a very oh, it's cinematic you, you, yeah it's cinematic you you feel it more than you like understand it if that makes yes, sense yes i love that you feel it it's cinematic because again look another director could have done this very simple have a scene where you have van helsing explain these are these are Drac these are dracula's powers he could do this his soul is boundless blah 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 Great, cool, okay. That's how a B-list director does it. And you've got oh an A-lister like Francis That's how Ford. a lot of directors do that. But here's the thing, though. And, and look, sometimes B-listers aren't bad, mm -hmm. but they, they approach it very literally. And they're like, audiences yeah. are going to be confused. We need to explain it. And Francis is like, fuck that. People get vampires. This was made in 1992, right? Mm -hmm. So vampires mm -hmm. weren't even at the highest peak of you, you know what i mean but yeah you you understand subconsciously some of the powers that dracula has you understand that he's not natural that he's animalistic that he's that he's almost a demon and and the way when you see it on film it's like when you see it done by actions and in scenes it's like it's interesting it keeps you engaged because you're like well what else is he gonna do right as the movie mm -hmm. went on i was just intrigued by well, what the fuck's Dracula going to do next? Because he's so unpredictable and so animalistic and so determined to get Mina, Mina back that he uses everything in his arsenal. And and the movie explains the things that it needs to. You know, like one of the things mm -hmm. is that he moves dirt. Like he actually ships dirt from his castle over to London because he needs yes. to, to sleep in his dirt in order to regain all of his powers. The movie will explain that. But like his transformations, his different states, because there are some scenes where he looks like a wolf, you know, when he's having mm -hmm. sex with Lucy. That's one of them. Mm -hmm. um, but like there's others where he looks like a straight up vampire where like he has like wings attached to him. <laughs> like a like a demon bat thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like a demon bat thing. And it's that's never explained. The important stuff is explained. This is how you kill a vampire. This is where Dracula's from. And this is what he wants. The rest left up to your imagination and i love that because he's not hand holding you he's leaving it up for your imagination and he's showing you some of the batshit insane that this man could do and it's so batshit that you're like well fuck he he's a yeah. menace he's a scary <laughs> he's a scary villain uh, he's a menace he's a menace and and it get and it leads to super inventive visuals that will just stay in my mind. And I'm like, you know, I loved it when when he's first introduced and that shadow moves in. Or when he's about to chow down on Mia's throat with the eyes, bloodshot mm -hmm. red. One of my favorite things is when he captures Keanu. When Keanu's like with his, um, with his like brides, Monica mm -hmm. Bellucci being one of them. And he's watching them like bite down on him and suck mm -hmm. Keanu, suck on his blood. And there's this there's this light right underneath him that's that's like a red light. You're like mm -hmm. realistically, where's that light coming from? What what source of light is that? <laughs> I don't know. 
but it's super ominous. Is, and are you talking way, about the the one where he's like kind of laughing? Yes, oh, I love that. I That's love one of my that. It's, it's, it, again, and it doesn't need to be explained, and it doesn't need to be literal. And that's what I'm talking about. That's where this movie succeeds in. It's beautiful. It's um, that, mm-hmm. that's the best way to describe it. Very, very much so. And I, it's much more concerned about feeling too. Well, and, um, and it has such a. It has. It shows Francis using everything in his toolkit to lay down a tone. You know, yes, you have yes. the tone and you have the atmosphere. And, and that's what I meant by sometimes when in modern day movies, there is a tone and an atmosphere that is very earthly, that is very realistic. You know, even some of the Marvel films, right? Some of them will have a very grounded atmosphere and tone. And that's not a bad thing. Captain America, I would say, benefits from that, having a more grounded approach to it. But then you have Doctor Strange that's a bit more surreal, more psychedelic. And that's what I... But this is what I'm talking about. Like, this movie does that from the very beginning, and you're watching this and it's like, oh, this is different. This is not held back or restrained. Mm-hmm. This is gothic as fuck. Very gothic. And that I kind of want to lead into, well, I guess, hmm, maybe maybe I can say this part later. But there's a part where I think the visuals are uh, a bit too, like, they're not hitting the the spot for me. You know what I mean? Well, I like, mean, let's talk about it now. Let's let's go Okay, about it. okay. So there's there's some stuff where I'm like, yes, this is really cool. This is really cool. Like they're swinging, they're swinging hard. Every everything's going to be a home run, right? But sometimes you miss, right? And maybe it's a miss for me or maybe it's just a miss. And it's like, "Oh, I don't like that." You know? Um this movie, we'll get into it later, but they really wanted to do all of the effects, like all the visual effects. They wanted mm. to do it really old school they wanted to use um like Matt visual Davies. tricks like we mentioned matte matte boxes right matte so paintings matte paintings matte paintings and like boxes like so for a scene there's a scene when when jonathan is in the castle and there's rats that are running upside down right mm, to yeah. show us that like oh this is a weird place rats are running on the ceiling and to film that to get that effect they actually just filmed it twice, but they covered up part of the film and put the camera upside down. And then when it was time to shoot Keanu, they flipped the camera right side up. And that part that was exposed captured the rat running. So when they shoot shoot Keanu, the rat running is already there on the film. So it's all done in camera. Mm-hmm. There's some matte paintings where you, you'll shoot the scene with from a specific perspective and you'll have like a painting that's supposed to make up like the rest of the background. Yeah. It's like, it's like the original green screen. Right. Right. So you're not like doing it all in post digitally adding it. It's already, it's physically there. Like you physically had to paint something, you know what I mean? (laughs) Um, And that's really cool. And I think in, in some cases it's really fun and interesting. (laughs) And then there's other cases where I'm like, what even the, fuck is supposed to be happening you know there's one scene when jonathan is escaping from the castle right and there's this one part where he's like kind of shimmying along and then all of a sudden he falls but the way that's filmed when i'm seeing it i'm like okay obviously he's just laying down and then when he falls down he falls down off this off the side but like i i i know where the camera is like it's like you're kind of seeing a puppet show 
but you're watching all the strings. Like the strings are super visible. Does that make the, sense? No, no, it does. I was thinking the same thing too. Uh, I, I do agree with you. Some of the visuals do lack uh, because I believe of the limitations. Uh, like there's some jank to them. Uh, and it's some, a little, it's yeah. a, it's a little distracting. Like I, I like the blue flames that surround Dracula's castle. Yeah, very I, jank. That's I early really VFX. F- yeah, and it's it's one of those things that just like I don't like it. It kind of takes you out of it because of how kind of maybe I don't know if the word is dated or I don't know because it's like the rat running on the ceiling. Like very that's cool. fine. I'm not like and yeah, I can see how it's done and it'd be like, damn, that's really cool. There's a scene that we mentioned earlier on the train ride where we can see the the smoke from the train come across uh, Jonathan's journal. That's really cool. When Mina is falling, or Elisabetta is falling from the castle, and we see that oh, super yeah. imposition, I don't like the way that looks. Mm-hmm. I feel like it looks really janky. Yeah. And there, it there kind is of, some jank. Yeah, um, and then sometimes it's fine, and sometimes it just it really bugs me. And it kind of, like dates the movie but it dates the movie when the movie was trying to use the old way when everybody else is doing the new way well um well that's the thing this movie has a lot of techniques from the silent film era and you could Mm -hmm. you could see that like oh Mm -hmm. yeah like it's you know you could tell that francis ford coppola loved the way some of those like loved some of those techniques from that era which is great i mean it lends to a lot of the greatness of this film. However, there is some jank to it where it's like, okay, clearly Keanu's not falling. Mina's, uh, uh, you know, Elisabetta's death, like her falling was really a little, a little cheesy, a little corny. And uh, mm-hmm. just some of those VFX are like, oh, okay. It's leaves. It does date the movie. But some of it is really cool. So it's yeah. like, I can't really hold it too hard against the film because I don't know. It, at least it was trying to do really cool things, and most of the things were really cool visually. Yeah, and I, and I agree with you. Like sometimes those limitations are just going to exist because of the time period, like the VFX. It is what it is, and sometimes mm-hmm. it's like, well, you're so beset on these older methods and kind of finding new ways of reinventing them that it doesn't totally land, uh, and it's a little distracting. You know, and I think sometimes it leads to a corny looking image, but you know, it's, it's part of the experience. It's part of the fun. You know, it's one of those, like, it is what it is. It's, you know, it's like you get some, like, some like organic fruits, you know, and they taste like really good, but ah, there's a bug on that one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Not perfect, but now I agree with you there. We've talked about the visuals, and there's a lot that we could talk about the visuals, but I do want to move on to the story. The story. Oh. Which is where I have my biggest grievance with. Mm-hmm. Because I think in terms of the visuals, this movie's like an A+. plus, You know, mm-hmm. or, or like an A-, minus, just because some of the jank. Some of the jank, yeah. Some of the jank, right? <laughs> but they're still great. I think the problem that I have... Uh, and what keeps me from loving this movie is the story. Now, what's specifically about the story? Well, look. Essentially, this is a romance film, mm-hmm. right? And I love me a good romance film. The problem is I feel like neither... I'm. It's essentially a love triangle between Dracula, Jonathan Harker, played by Keanu Reeves, 
and Mina slash Elisabetta, played by Winona Ryder. And this love triangle did not excite me. It did not excite me. It did not really intrigue me. It didn't get me hot and bothered. You know, <laughs> uh, it, it, it didn't really pull me in. And I'm a sucker for this kind of stuff. You know, I'm look, man, I'm Team Edward. Okay, <laughs> I'm Team Edward all the way. Oh my God, Tale of Two Cities. That's my shit. All right, I read that in high school. Blew my fucking mind. I grew up watching telenovelas, Spanish soap operas, mm-hmm. Amor Real. You know, if you're Hispanic and you've seen Amor Real, you know the love triangle I'm talking about. This movie did not do that, and you know, because Dracula, Dracula's an interesting character. He's kind of a creep, but I also feel bad for him. And he's really forceful, and he is kind of a villain, uh, especially to poor Lucy. Lucy did not deserve that, you know. Oh, I know no. she didn't deserve that. She got a brutal ending, and it's because he—he's just draining her. She's like a cow. She's mm-hmm. a cow to him, and I'm like, well, that's fucked up. You don't have to do Lucy like that. But the problem is, Jonathan Harker is a fucking bland sandwich. He's like a baloney <laughs> sandwich with nothing on it. Uh, and Mina too. I'm just and. I think part of it, too, is I do not like the casting in Keanu Reeves and and Winona Ryder. Gary Oldman as Dracula is great. He's fantastic. Great Dracula. He's, like, a great modern interpretation of what Dracula should be compared to, like, Bela Lugosi, who has his hair slicked back and stuff. Gary Oldman, you know, beard, long hair, sexy man, right? He's got it going on. But fuck, Keanu and Winona just... I. I could not. I did. Winona just, I, and I I love Winona Ryder, and when she's great, she's phenomenal. But she just stands out in this movie like a sore thumb, you know. Like in Winona Ryder in Heather's, Beetlejuice, uh, Edward Scissorhands, Stranger Things. She just like you know in those other movies, she kind of just blends in with the film. Like she's part of it, you know. She fits in. She's, like, really in command of all those characters. Here, I I don't know what it is, but she just does not blend in. And Keanu, oh, my goodness, this man. <laughs> I love Keanu. We all love Keanu here. And we, we talked about how great he was as Constantine. We love him. We love them in that. But in this movie, oh, Dios mío, he is right. His accent is very rough. I think I can agree with the accent being rough, but it doesn't really bug me as much as Anthony Hopkins' accent. <laughs> like Anthony- I, I feel like Keanu Reeves is trying his hardest to do this accent. I feel like Anthony Hopkins is like, no one's going to tell me I'm doing a bad accent. So <laughs> Anthony Hopkins is is a funny accent, right? Uh, it's It's funny and it's weird, but Keanu's was consistently distracting. And it was bad. It's um, not. It's not good. But I don't think it's that. I don't think it's that bad. I. I. Think... I, I, I don't. I, man, I was listening to it in that line when he's like, "I know where the bastard sleeps." <laughs> no. I know where the bastard sleeps. I brought him there to Carfax Abbey. Oh my. Goodness gracious. I, I And I think part of the problem with Keanu is um, he just doesn't emote. I don't... He, I think he, the, I, the character of Jonathan Harker is not a very interesting No, no, no. He, like, no and, all, yeah. all he's there to do is to get tricked by Dracula 
and let Lucy or let Mina go at the end. That's really all he does. Yeah, and if that was the and again, I've never read the original Bram Stoker Dracula book, so I don't know what the intentions are. But this is a romance, right? And this is a love triangle. But I felt no emotional attachment to anything. If Dracula was supposed to be the main character and I'm supposed to fall with him, then I really got to be on one hand like mad horny for him and Winona (laughs) to get together. But that was never the case. I was like, there was always a disconnect between between how I felt with those characters. I just never bought the romance. And with Jonathan I think a lot of the romance is like happens off screen you know what i mean like there are jonathan and mina don't meet in the movie and we they fall in love and then they get married you know what i mean like oh yeah we're already supposed to believe okay they're they're in love and then they're separated like that's the first our introduction to them is them parting yeah but even that scene i didn't buy that they were in love like I, i i understand wanting to to present the relationship as chaste as um mm-hmm. non-sexual i get that but for me it was less it was less of that and just more non-existent like they were just mm. actors that were told to love each other now um, when i, but, but when in I a, see but in a, them but in a conservative manner when i see them in that scene i see that winona <clears throat> or mina's character wants more but jonathan doesn't want to go that far mina does you could tell that she does I, but, I, and Winona's not acting badly. I don't want to give the impression. I think I think Keanu's not acting great. I, <laughs> I, I have beef with his acting. I think Winona's acting is good because you do get what she's trying to convey, right? She does want more. I mean, she wants to fuck Keanu Reeves like that. I got that maybe, impression. Maybe she just wants to fuck. Period. That that's a that's a very good point. But, I what that's why I'm like I don't I don't know why you're you're dissing Winona's writer so much in, in the first part but like I feel like she does a really good job of being somebody who wants to experience um, sex more than what she's allowed to have you know what I mean well and and that's the hard part about Winona is that I just don't because she's not acting badly and you get what she's trying to convey but she just like uh she just stands out like i don't really buy like what she like i don't like for me she doesn't really have any screen presence in this film uh not not to say that she not not to say that she lacks any in general i think she's great but like for example like gary oldman the way he's playing it now granted gary oldman has a lot more to do it seems like his Mm -hmm. characterization is locked down so maybe that's why i'm favoring dracula a bit more but like he he blends in with the movie and he's in it and for some reason Winona just stands out to me as just like and it's 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 funny too because like Anthony Hopkins kind of blends into the film too even though his accent is funny like I wouldn't even really say it's a great accent because I'm like well that's German and he does like the jaws every now and then but it, it, I wouldn't say it's good but he and, and he's in. in the movie a lot more than Keanu Yes. A lot more. So you're hearing that accent a lot more. Those marks on her throat. No disease, no trituration. I'm sure the blood loss occurred there. Oh? Where did the blood go? You were once a careful student, Jack. 
Use your brain. Where did the blood go? Tell me. The bedclothes would be covered in blood. Exactly. You do not let your eyes see nor your ears hear that which you cannot account for. Something just went up there, sucked it out of her and flew away, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, why not? That's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. Will one of you learned doctors or whatever you are kindly tell me what is going on with my Lucy? Jack, you are a scientist. Do you not think there are things in this universe which you cannot understand and which are true? Mesmerism, hypnotism, you and electromagnetic fields, materialization, astral bodies. But but they have a certain screen presence. Even Lucy, for as little as she is in the film, like just really blends in. But Winona just mm-hmm. sticks out. And well, I think Winona, is... Winona is a character. Mina is a character that is repressed, and the other characters are not. Like Dracula is Dracula. Lucy, Lucy is as sexually free as she wants to be. Like she does have to like get married, you know, because I think there's a line where she says, "Oh, I'll be, I'll be twenty, and then I'll be a hag or something." So there is some kind of pressure on her, but in this in the film, she's able to like court three different suitors and kind of string them all along. And all these other guys, you know, they get to like do all these heroic acts for Lucy. There's there's a lot for them to do, but Mina and Jonathan are very repressed. Their their characters are very repressed. So when I see their performances as not being as big, it's just to me it's just a character thing. It, it well, it's not even that it's big. It's not big, which I which I, maybe it should have been bigger, just so it can match what Gary Oldman. No, I I feel like if do. it if it was as big, then they'd be competing. Maybe, you know, I, but I feel like the the relationship between Dracula and Mina is kind of one sided because I don't mm. the movie is kind of like you know it's not literal what's happening. Maybe I don't think that Mina is the reincarnation of of uh elisabetta i think that's dracula kind of putting that on her mm-hmm. so she feels like she remembers these things but what she's feeling is the desire to be to be loved and to, to have sex with someone they love well see it's interesting because i that's a great way of explain of uh of of uh, describing her character as repressed and maybe that explains like some of the some of the awkwardness that i'm feeling with her but there was something about a previous film that we talked about that kind of had that same angle, Hellraiser, with Claire Higgins's character mm-hmm. Julia, because Julia did not like her husband Frank or um, uh, Larry, right? Mm-hmm. Or uh, is it yeah Larry? And she had a lot more. She had more feelings for Frank. She was someone mm-hmm. who was sexually just not entertained she was she was she was repressed but i never felt that way from claire claire kind of fit in the film it's if anything she's one of my favorite parts of the film she's also her point of view character yes which and that might have something to do with it but i feel like when it comes to repressed characters there has to be i think i don't i just i'm not crazy about the casting of keanu and winona i think they're two that just stick out too far for me mm-hmm. and it was more distracting than anything keanu way more so uh when nona after a certain point i was like okay well you know she's not doing a bad job but i was like oh, i really like her towards the end when she starts becoming a vampire i feel like that all the stuff she's doing there is really fun 
Like it's 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 like catching up to what everybody else was doing before. Yeah, but even then, it didn't feel totally like real. It just if mm-hmm. it, it, like it, it's funny. It's because yeah, repression is one of the themes, and she is heavily repressed in the beginning. Uh, you know, or she she hides it. You know, and um, but by the end, once she's once she's had a taste of Dracula's blood, she's like, "All right, I am in this." And I think she could have given off more of an impression of like maybe what Lucy had been like, or maybe a more extreme version of Lucy, Lucy, or maybe even reaching what Dracula's doing or Gary Oldman's doing. But never did it for me. And you know, at the very end with Jonathan Harker, he's like, "Let her, her work's just beginning." Like I didn't feel anything for when he said that line. I didn't feel bad. I didn't feel like, you know, I was like. Well, Jonathan Harker was just a a piece of wood. He was a a blank. I was like, <laughs> may, now maybe that's on the book, but I feel like if I'm watching a romance, I want to feel something for that romance. And I want, especially if it's a love triangle, I need to have serious feelings for it. And for this movie, I, I just didn't for any of the characters. And I think two of them were just miscast. Um, because mm. I feel like maybe Jonathan isn't given that much to work with, but I mean, if we're talking about screen times, let's talk about the three guys: the doctor, the cowboy, and Wesley. I, I forget their names, but those guys uh, like fit into the movie. Like they're, I could see them existing in this setting and kind of they're playing up the archetypes that they're supposed to: the doctor, the cowboy, the husband. But um. And they blend in, and they're part of it, but Keanu just sticks out. And I, I think it's a casting thing. Um, I don't think it's a casting thing. I think it's a... Uh, we were used to seeing Keanu a certain way, and he's not that in this movie. He's just kind of like the... He's the guy that... He's like the milk toast uh, guy that's good for you. you know? Yeah, but I feel like... But I, I going back to Hellraiser, I think Larry did a better job of being milk toast. Um, oh, yeah, he was... Larry okay. was great. Larry in Hellraiser was a great milk toast guy, you know. And and I do think because nowadays we have a certain image of Keanu Reeves. You're absolutely right about that. I mean, he's John Wick. He's fucking Neo. He uh, um, Point Break. I mean, uh, Speed. You know. <laughs> but it, but that's the thing. It's like I just don't. I couldn't buy him being. A lot of milk people toast. couldn't. A lot of people singled out Winona and Keanu as like being miscast in this movie, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I it doesn't bug me as much. I like, I like them in this movie. Well, it's I would say this: it's not unwatchable, and and it's not unwatchable. And I, I could criticize Keanu, uh, Winona less so, but it just it, it's one of those things where I'm like, man, you know, if. And also on the writing, too, because really, I, I just didn't feel much from anybody. I didn't really get too much of that repression from Mina's character really explained or detailed. Uh, Jonathan Harker obviously is barely in the film. Uh, and Dracula is interesting in terms of powers and stuff. But in terms of character, he's just a kid who wants his candy. I don't really, I don't, I don't really, you, you know, I don't really get what's so like, this is not a love triangle that I'm going to remember for my whole life, you know, whereas like, Amoreal, Tale of Two Cities, hell, even Twilight, well, maybe Twilight isn't really a, the, Twilight is more that it was marketed, like the biggest love triangle, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, 
but yeah, it was it was just um that it kind of fell fell flat for me in that regard, and that's why I'm I don't love the movie in that regard, you know. It was it was like mm-hmm. I think personally for me this is a style over over substance kind very, of very I, I think so too but I feel like there's a little bit more substance I do think the sexual repression comes through uh, it might be I guess the one subtle thing about this movie because you didn't pick up on it but I feel like it was there throughout the movie throughout, especially from Mia's perspective I I think I got a little bit of it because because like I said earlier she she definitely wants to fuck before Keanu leaves you mm-hmm. get that very much so and especially when you have her right next to Lucy because Lucy is very open about her like about she, she wants to bang anything and everyone or not not like that but she's able to she's she's allowed to yeah but Mina is not and I and I do like the that relationship is really cool oh yeah that the relationship is great the relationship between the two because I, I feel like uh, Mina is a bit envious of Lucy, but Lucy doesn't take advantage of that. I feel like she genuinely cares about Mina. Yeah, and, and that was the thing too. Like Lucy, I feel like is underused um, for, for a really tragic ending, you know. And I, I felt like they, Winona and Lucy, Mina and Lucy, bounce off of each other really well. But it's just like it's so in the background, and I'm like, why well, like this right here? I. You know, I don't, I don't know why we can't get more of that. So it's yeah, the the way that Lucy is handled is like Jesus. What what's happening here? Why are we doing this? Uh, that's something that I'm struggling to to reconcile. Like, I do like her character. I I do mm-hmm. think that she's kind of nece- like her death is kind of necessary to show us that Dracula is a bad guy. Oh yeah, you know? yeah, hundred percent. It is sad. And it, and it does lead to a violent ending. Violent ending, yeah. So like she's, she picks the the guy the Carrie Carrie Elway, you know, and the other guys they still have feelings for her, right? Mm-hmm. Quincy and the doctor, uh, what's his name? Yeah, Jack, who's played by Richard E. Grant. They all still like have feelings for her, and when Lucy's becoming the vampire, she's kind of like taking advantage of that when she's dealing with them. Like mm-hmm. to try to get lure them in to draw their blood, but she doesn't do that with Mina. It, I feel like everyone's like, "Oh, Mina's special. We can't n- n- nothing happen. No, let nothing bad happen to Mina." Mm-hmm. Which is like, but why can't? Why aren't we treating Lucy like that? Why are we like letting Dracula drain her blood all the time? Like they do try to stop it, but I don't feel like there's as much sense of urgency to stop it than when Mina's under attack. No, 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 yeah, and I think it. I think it really just comes down to the fact that um, Lucy is a sexually liberated character, and I think on on that front, you know, and I feel like sexually liberated characters usually get shit on in movies, kind of in general. Is that is the movie condemning that because the way that they're treating Lucy isn't isn't right? Well, that's the thing. I don't know. Like in other examples, there are, there are other films that. Yes, they are condemning it. It's like you're a slut, so you deserve to die. Like, I, like horror films do this all the time. In this scenario, in this movie, I don't know. I feel like in defense of of this movie, I will say that they go out of their way to show Lucy as a good friend. So because we get to see the human side of her, we're we're not like you know going like that's what you get you know when when she gets killed. You know, it doesn't feel like that. It feels like she's being lured away 
Mm-hmm. And because maybe be, maybe because she's sexually liberated, because she's, I don't know, free to do that. Maybe the other characters are less protective of her because of that. And because we see her as a person, maybe we're like, damn, they don't have to do Lucy. Like, maybe we're supposed to feel that way, you know? It, it is tough. I honestly don't have an answer. I think to the points cre- to the film's credit, they don't have Lucy be an asshole. Like she is, she is really nice to Mina, and Mina really likes her. There's like actual love between them, and like they do, they do like try to do the blood transfusions and everything. But yeah, so they are trying to save her. They are, mm-hmm. they do like put men on watch with guns when they think she's going to be under attack. But I feel like uh, what's his name, uh, Jack, not Jack, the Arthur. Arthur Homewood, the guy that ends up marrying her, is like drinking. Like, why, why are you well, washing over your wife with a w- glass of whiskey? Quincy's trying. No, Quincy's trying. Yeah, Jack he is. Called Van Helsing, but Van Helsing is like, oh yay, I get to fight Dracula. <laughs> you know, he's like excited. He's like talking about what's what's going on with Lucy. He's like. Ah, she's the devil's concubine. She's a whore of darkness. You know, like, <laughs> I dude, remember do you, that. Do you care about her? I or didn't do you get care that about the hunt. I, I think get... he, I think Van Helsing very much cares about the hunt. Like the night that Lucy dies, he's like, uh, he's like, go, oh, I must eat. And yeah, I'm like, wait, you should be doing this now. Like you should have come, having eaten, having prepared giving everybody a line of, of action, you know. But he's he's just too excited. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, I get to hunt vampires. He's not he's not a good person. And I don't think the movie wants us to believe he's a good person. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. In, in that defense, he I don't think he's really presented as, like, the hero. This isn't Hugh Jackman to Van Helsing. No, it is not. He, he, it's, this is a Van Helsing who very much likes the thrill of going up against Dracula because maybe, potentially, he was one of the priests that was there because it's also played by Anthony Hopkins. Right, So yes. so there So there's that level of mystery. But he... You do get a sense that he is kind of callous in the way he talks about it. Like when when it's Keanu, Mina, and uh, and uh, and Van Helsing in the bar or in the restaurant, he seems like very dismissive. Eat, feast. We need your strength for the dark days ahead. Mina. Doctor. Yeah. How did Lucy die? Was she in great pain? Yeah, she was in great pain. Then we cut off her head and drove a stake to her heart and burned it, and then she found peace. Doctor! Please. Yeah, and he's like, oh, did did the, the brides, when you were in your infidelity with the brides, did they get you to drink their blood? <laughs> like, just talking about it casually. Like, yeah, you had, like, a raunchy four-way with those women. Did, did they... <laughs> In front of his his wife, you know? Which, let me tell you, was not consensual, by the way. Like, right. he was not asking for that. They were draining his blood, and he got out the first chance he could, but he was so weak, he couldn't do it. It's not like he's actively having, like, okay, Dracula, yeah, go with Mina, I'm asleep with your brides. Like, that's, that's not what was happening. But right. Van Helsing... But Van Helsing is matter of fact. He's like, these are the details. and It's I, almost I'm... like he's judging him. Your infidelity with the brides, you know? Yes. Like yeah. you you were being infidel. Is it infidelis? Is that the word? 
I don't, you I don't the, think infidelity is the, the word. <laughs> you were the active participant in infidelity. You were the infidel. You know? It's like it's almost like he's saying, like, hey man, you were actively pumping. All right. So don't You were out of pocket. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and which I, which is not which if you watch the film, it's like that's not number one, that's a cold way of saying it. Number two, mm-hmm. that's not what happened. But that's not what happened. But I feel like Van Helsing, he is kind of like a man of God, right? Because he's implied to be maybe a descendant of the priest that told Dracula. Your wife is going to hell because she committed suicide. Yes. So I, f- I feel like a lot of this movie has to deal with Christianity mm-hmm. and maybe like the the guilt for for having for one wanting pleasure and wanting sex and love mm-hmm. and like stuff that makes you feel good. It makes a lot of sense, and I got hints of that, but I don't really know or get what I'm supposed to get from the movie, which is which is where I'm where which is where I'm holding back on loving it because like for something for example like hellraiser for example it's making these bold statements about pain and pleasure that's what the franchise is about you know but here you have dracula and it's like there are these nods to religion to christianity to repress to sexual repression right which is a part of like the church right but i don't really get what i'm supposed to walk away from like is is religion bad well, is Anthony Hopkins the good guy? Well, and that's what's so conf- not conf- that's what's ambiguous about the film. I just wish it had been more straightforward because look, we both acknowledge that Van Helsing isn't a good person. Not not, not he's not a kind person. He's not an, a sympathetic person. He's a doctor and a priest. Now you could say, well, that makes him not a good person, but it's like, well, but he still tries to save Lucy, and in the end of the day, he protects Mina from the Brides of Dracula. And because of his efforts, they're able to essentially defeat Dracula. You know, he's he he tells them, here's what we need to do. We need to go to his house in or his where he stays at Abbey Carfax or whatever. Carfax Abbey or whatever. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's, he's like he's a necessary at this point to yes, like defeat and, Dracula because Dracula is a bad guy. Right. And his. Yeah. Oh, Dracula is a bad guy. And his actions are good. You know, and he's right. like, I'm, I'm trying to save Mina and I'm trying to save Lucy. So his actions are good. But the way he carries himself, not so much. And there's some ambiguity there, which is fine. I'm not I'm OK with ambiguity, but I feel like some of those themes just really weren't carried all the way through. Not not as much as as like I would say in Hellraiser, where I would say, mm-hmm. OK, let's go in. Let's talk about this. What does this mean? And I feel like um, Clive Barker definitely had a. A, a way closer message whereas with dracula it's like ambiguous and i just because i right. feel like even so much- though we said in the beginning that subtlety get that word out of the vocab out of your vocabulary for this movie i feel like there is a little bit of subtlety in how it's it wants you to feel about this right here this this ambiguous like well is van helsing really a good guy that's a good point i'll give i'll concede to that but i feel like in the end of the day i there's just no real um desire for me to like really like oh let's really figure out what's happening here you know (laughs) not like with constantine you know or not like with uh, hellraiser just because those are movies that are interesting that we that we we recently spoke about for me it it does make me want it does make me think about the movie more like that like Mm. there's there's something that renfield he that he says uh was when they try to hide mina in the insane asylum mm-hmm. uh for some reason <laughs> uh renfield is just he's 
kind of like a in the thrall of Dracula, right? So he's like he's made preparations for Dracula's arrival to London. But as they're kind of like walking away from him, Renfield says, "I'm not mad. I'm a man fighting for his soul." And for some reason, that kind of like left an impression on me because like there's Renfield's a victim right now. We're treating him like he's a convict, a victim of Dracula, just like Lucy, just like Mina is about to be. And what what made Dracula turn into a vampire? You know, what what made him go over the edge, become this evil thing? Well, essentially Christianity. Yeah, it's like he was doing what he was supposed to be doing, you know, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, all right, you're at, God is withholding his love from me because my wife killed killed herself because somebody lied to her. Mm-hmm. You know, I've I've done all these like terrible, terrible things in honor of God. And now because my wife has committed suicide, he's not giving his love to me anymore. Or maybe mm-hmm. because he allowed her to commit suicide or because of the rules that you set up. Now she her soul is damned. Yeah. So I, it, it kind of makes me uh, sympathize with Dracula a little bit. But he's still a bad guy. Like all this, he needs to be stopped. But the reason the reason he turned evil in the first place, like... I feel like we got to do some some thinking about that. I guess so. I'm, I, I, but that's the thing. I mean, when you, when you're explaining it, I'm like, okay, that that's a valid point. That makes a lot of sense. I don't know why I didn't pick up on it. I, there's because a I, line at the end that uh, Anthony Hopkins has that that I think really like now talking about talking it out loud kind of sums it all up. That this maybe was intentional. He says we're all God's madmen now, madmen. We have Renfield in the insane asylum where we're back to that first moment when Dracula, when the callous will of God damns Mina's soul, Mina or is Elizabeth's soul to hell for committing suicide. Like I feel like it goes back to that moment of when Dracula went mad knowing that he, he did all this work for somebody (laughs) and they're not lending out a hand. You know, I feel like he's, he's mad too, you know? And I swear to God, after Jonathan, his hair turns white from being with Dracula's brides and everything, after Anthony Hopkins says that, I feel like his hair turns back to normal. But it's so fast. I'm like, am I, did they just like not dress his hair that day or what? <laughs> well, I, I wasn't too familiar what was happening with the hair. I didn't notice it getting darker. I think at the, or I, I didn't notice. Like the final I, shot of him, his hair is completely black. I thought that was part of the lighting though, because it, it takes place yeah, in, it, outside that night. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not too familiar with that. And, and that's fine. That's, you know, I, I'm like, ah, that's a small detail. Look, you're bringing up good points and you're bringing up lines of dialogue that I'm like, oh, I didn't pick up on that one. I'll give you this. These are good points. Unfortunately, it didn't totally click. Maybe this requires another viewing, but uh, I don't know. I think what I'm most disappointed about is the love triangle. Yeah, because right? it's the, it's all we're not like really seeing, in, at least in my interpretation. I don't think we're seeing Mina fall in love with Dracula. I feel like we're seeing her lust for a life that she wants, but she's also under the thrall of Dracula. So he's well, she well, she's succumbing to him, right? And I don't know if he's aware of what he's doing 
like there's a moment where he wants to bite her but he's like no i can't and there's a moment where he wants to like give her her blood but he's like no i love you too much i don't want your soul to be damned i don't know it's it's like a weird well it's a it's a strange relationship that i just wish was explored more because if they are not trying to have her fall in love with him at if they're trying to have it seem like he's she's succumbing to his presence because there is something hypnotic hypnotic about dracula i'm okay all the vampires have that like the way that uh lucy approaches quincy and uh arthur like they all kind of like put them in a sense where they're not really themselves they're like under their their thrall i don't i just i don't know it there's just something about it's not explained it's just like a feeling that i get from the way that it's filmed you know so it's that ambiguity is either you you like it or you don't really mm-hmm. like it it's it's like a, a taste thing i think yeah and I, in and some I... in some cases it it does like bother me like not knowing but that's part of why i like it <laughs> well sometimes it's too ambiguous and sometimes it's not ambiguous enough i felt like it's I feel like they could have been a bit more outright about it. Or out, outright about it. I, I feel like you could say that about this movie, like in general. Like I feel like it sums up every issue I have with it. It's like I wish you were a little bit more specific. I wish you did things more conventionally here. Yeah. But because it's so unconventional, that's what makes me like the movie. Well, it, yeah. It, well, that's the thing. Like because it's very unconventional, it stands out. Yeah. But there are moments where I wish he had reined it in, and it's like, no, we could. We could play this very straightforward. You yeah. Know? And I feel like like there are certain interactions that Dracula has with Mina that are like, oh, this is okay. I like this. But then it's just like, it just feels like it goes from one extreme to the other. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> how did we, how did we even get here? And the movie's two hours long. It's not a long movie. It's, it's two hours long. And I'm like, where did the time go? You know, it, it's, it's yeah. almost like the movie's hypnotic with it its is, visuals right? and stuff. But, but I'm like. But, but what did I actually see? You know, like I didn't see this relationship form. I didn't see this man like I mean, I saw this man making this woman succumb to his like to his charm. But why isn't this like it's not bothering me? Like I'm not like upset that he's doing it, but I'm also not cheering for him because I'm, I'm sympathetic to what he's gone through because of the loss of Elisabetta. I'm like just watching it and I'm, I'm more impressed by all the window dressing mm-hmm. instead of like the actual drama of the story and our, our characters aren't really like super relatable right because oh, yeah. jonathan is like very like plain mina is i guess i feel like maybe she's maybe the most sympathetic but at the same time we're not really sure if she's the actual reincarnation is she just under his spell does she actually want him does she actually love him him i mean dracula (laughs) and i just and i just feel like if you're dealing with romance if that's like your big topic like gothic horror romance i feel like the romance needs to be upfront and 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 not say like oh i'm falling in love with you dracula but i feel like it needs to be a bit more out in the open like with hellraiser for example i mean i keep comparing this movie to hellraiser (laughs) but but it but that movie i i had no problem with that movie like it did enough where it was supposed to and like yes you know, like you know exactly that you know she's not under some kind of spell with for frank she just he's just really good at sex and she he pushes all the right buttons yes it's yeah. very specific you know exactly what she's thinking and this movie you don't really know because it doesn't really explain what's happening yeah but that's kind of why we like the movie but it it's 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 a 
it's very interesting. I think. No, no. You, you I, well, look, regardless of, because it sounds like we're kind of in the similar camp for different reasons. But yes, there's no denying that this movie is interesting. It's weird and it's interesting. I'll say this: it's not boring. It's not boring. This is the kind of movie where I can like play parts of it and then just be like, okay, I want to watch this next scene. I want to yes. watch. I want to watch this like a little bit more all the way through. Like, oh, I didn't notice that before. Wait, do I? Is this bad? Actually, I like this. It's it makes you feel like a lot of different things. It's, oh, it's like shape shifting in front of you as we're talking about it. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. And that's why I'm like, look, I really like this movie. I wish I had loved it. I felt like I mm-hmm. personally needed some more romance or some of some of these themes way more upfront and less ambiguous when it came to the story. But and my biggest problem is is the casting between Winona and Keanu. But outside of mm-hmm. that, I still really dug the movie. And I still think it's yes. worth watching just because this they're not making movies like this anymore. Very rarely do they make movies like this. Yeah, and when they I mean, do, they kind of fly under the radar. Like, I would compare this to 3,000 Years of Longing. because Ooh, that, yeah, 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 yeah. Because in that movie, there is a romance there. But, like, it might not be the explicit one that we see, but more of an internal one between maybe one of the characters. And she's kind of like imprinting on on this fictional, maybe fictional character. We don't know. We don't really know. Well, that was the thing too. 3,000 Years of Longing was like very ambiguous. Like, is this real? Is this fake? What the fuck is happening? But it has a lot in terms of like the characters going back and forth. And like the movies, the movie is one long conversation. (laughs) Yeah, I, I feel like they have more more chemistry. Oh yeah, there. But like it's like depending on which way you look at the movie, he might not even be real. Yeah, you know, it could this could just be like an internal thing for for one of the character or for Tilda Swinton's character. Um, and in this movie, like I feel like Dracula is real in this world, but the emotions that they're that they're feeling may may not be, or maybe express they might be expressing something that they're feeling but just maybe not exactly what they're saying in, in that moment, if that makes sense. 100%, yeah. Okay. <laughs> this, uh, it's just it's one of those movies where you kind of have to see it, I think. Just, to, just experience it. I totally recommend it because I don't think you've seen anything like this. And it's definitely... And look, this movie has had a big influence on how, as pop in pop culture, we see vampires, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, go check it out. Like, it's, it's cool. If you like vampires, go for it. If you don't, then I don't. I mean, you might get something from the visuals and stuff and from the filmmaking techniques. But if you're really, if you're even curious about vampires, watch the movie. It's fun. I, it's cool. Yes. I feel like this set the tone for, like, every single vampire thing after. I think it very much did, which we'll get into because this movie has influenced a lot of things moving forward and it, it kind of reimagined what it is to be a vampire mm-hmm. you know like dracula you know to be a charming man that is beautiful also and very sensitive and very angry. sensitive <laughs> yeah like so. there's the part where he like gets the letter saying i can't see you again because i'm going to to romania to marry my my fiance he starts crying blood and then and like, he's surrounded by candles and he's yeah. just like, oh, he's super sensitive. Like he's crying in the Dracula accent. Like <laughs> it's ridiculous, but it's it's super cool. I don't know. No, no, no. It is. It is 100%. But it, that same like goofiness can like appear in a different part of the film. And I'm like, I don't like that. 
<laughs> it's it's uh, a strange movie. It's, it's a, a strange, strange movie. movie, and I mean, it's okay to feel that way. Sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. Like it's just it's an yeah. intuitive thing. And maybe it doesn't work. Certain things don't work right now, but maybe they will. And maybe maybe if I rewatch this movie in like ten years, I'll probably be like, "Ah, eh, I was too harsh on Winona," or I'll be like, "Oh, I get, I get more of this now." Um, yeah, it, it could be the case. You know, maybe maybe in five years I'll be like, you know, actually, you know what? Winona's kind of annoying in this movie. <laughs> I don't. Know. I mean, it, it's funny that you were like, some people had that problem with her, and some people and Keanu, did. I was like, he yeah, okay. So I'm, I, I'm like. Y'all, did we watch the same movie? <laughs> Man, I I don't know. It's just Winona, it's just her screen presence that she has in other films just did not work here. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it was the character, if it was the casting, like specifically Winona, or if it was her acting, or maybe it it might even be like the the preconceived notions we have of these actors that we yeah. can't like divorce from whatever role they want to play. Like, I feel like a lot of people felt that way about Robert Pattinson. Like, he can't be Batman. He's Ooh, Edward. My God. Yes. Watching this movie, like, after learning a little bit, watching Keanu Reeves throughout my life and seeing that he's, like, been a movie star and he seems like a nice guy, yes. I might be imprinting that on my viewing of this film because I'm like, it's Keanu Reeves. Well, You know, it's like you're seeing a dog. You can't be mad at a dog. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> but 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 it is funny because whereas when Nona and Keanu did not work in this movie for me, there was another film that they came out in together. Oh, uh, the the wedding movie, right? Yeah, Destination Wedding, and I loved them in that movie. <laughs> like I, I think Destination Wedding was not well received. I think it did mm-hmm. not have great reviews. But I watched it because it was on Amazon Prime. It was it was on some streaming service, and I was like, because I, I think you watched it for work. I didn't watch it. I, oh, I, didn't, someone I else wanted did. to, but I didn't get to. Someone else watched it, and they didn't like it. And I was like, oh, but it's Keanu and Winona. I watched it. I loved it. I think it's. <laughs> I I loved it. Like the movie is basically just them talking so much shit about other people. Oh and I was like, God. they're great. So I don't know, man. But I will say this: I recommend our viewers to watch it because. Because you'll make your own mind, you'll you'll make up your own mind about it, and maybe it'll work for you, and maybe it won't. But I still feel like there's a lot of craftsmanship, there's a lot of effort, also from Keanu and Winona that you can appreciate, and there's a lot of effort in every other department of the film. This movie has so much effort put into it, and I'm like, even if you don't, even if you don't like the story, like the written text, if you think it's awful and terrible, I think you could still appreciate everything the, else that went around. Yeah, the film. like you, I, I. Do not think this is a bad movie. No, 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 absolutely. You can see all the talent behind it. And And the story is really intriguing. Yeah. Oh, I I think so. I think so, too. Especially when it comes to Dracula. Like, he is an interesting, like, character. So, and I don't think the story's bad. I just think, you know, could it have... It's one of those, could it have been better? Maybe. But, um... Yeah, maybe it's just, like, not your favorite thing. Your favorite kind of story. And then that's fine. You know, like, I, I still... I think it's a good movie and I was watching Siskel and Ebert when they were talking about the movie they both liked the visuals mm-hmm. but Siskel was like the story was bad too and then Ebert was like getting mad at him for giving it a thumbs down he's <laughs> like but but all the work that went into the visuals that's that's got to make it a good movie right like it's well made and he's like that has to be worth something yeah and oh, they, man. it's so funny when they when they argue because they have to like move on to the next thing so, like, one of them gets, like, a quip in really fast, and then they transition to the next one. Yeah. So there's no retort. 
Coppola is a master of the visual, but uh, I thought it was a pretty empty well, picture. Well, the important thing with a movie of this length and complexity is to have a storyline that is clear enough. Driven through. So that people know at every moment exactly who yeah. is who and why. Yeah. And whether we care about them and what's going to happen yeah. next. And here you have, as I said before, set pieces in which everything spins around in beautiful pictures but there's no real emotion. So then why do you give it thumbs I up? I love the way it looked. Well, I, mean, I like the way it looked. There has to be, uh, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down is such an arbitrary thing anyway. Not arbitrary. This movie does things with the visuals of vampirism and the Dracula yeah, legend you have not seen done before. I, I mean, the sets, the costumes, the atmosphere, the music, but you were the special I, effects. I know you were bored during it and I was bored too. I really was. Well, Coming you, up next. I'm glad you're a mind reader. Maybe okay. you could get a job in the next picture doing your act or something. Thank you. Let's talk about how this movie was made. All right. So obviously this was a book in 1893, 1897 by Bram Stoker, right? And there have been Dracula movies since then, right? There was the first one, Nosferatu, which was a silent film that kind of like took stuff from Bram Stoker's Dracula without permission. You know, they <laughs> changed the names. It's not Count Dracula, it's Count Olaf or something like that. Um, then you get the Bela Lugosi one, and then you get like, what's his name? Christopher Lee plays Dracula in the Hammer films, you know? Mm. But you know, fast forward to the 1970s, and this book comes out Interview with the Vampire by Anne Rice. And the screenwriter, James V. Hart, reads it, and he's like, Damn, vampires are cool. I like the way Anne Rice talks about vampires. So he wrote his own version of Dracula, one that like went back to the source, went back to the novel, and tried to tell that story more faithfully. And he wanted to bring out the more of the romantic in the Dracula. Obviously, this movie doesn't happen until the 90s, because Winona Ryder, you know, she's growing as an actor, and she's trying to find a more mature role. She sees... Hart's version of Dracula and she's like okay put a pin in this I'm interested and then comes Francis Ford Coppola who's making The Godfather Part 3 and Winona Ryder is going to be in it and then something happens and she's not in the movie anymore and it, she kind of has to draw like pull out very late in the game and she's worried because Francis Ford Coppola is kind of a big deal and <laughs> You don't want to like get on the bad side of this guy because he's a, he's kind of a big deal. So she's worried that, oh, maybe he hates me. So she, you know, organizes a meeting with him to kind of like smooth things over and there's no hard feelings. And she's like, hey, by the way, I read this script for Bram Stoker's Dracula. Take a look at it. And then he's like, oh, my God, this is amazing. So that's kind of like the beginning of of this movie. You know, the cast, they get together they read the novel, they do like this whole like workshop, like improv, like it's funny because in the behind the scenes video, you, you, you see the actors play like these improv games with each other. One of them like, I forget what it's called, it's like zip, zap, zop or something where you make a noise and you throw that noise to somebody else and they catch the noise, they repeat the noise and then they make up a new noise and do it to somebody else. And then you just kind of go across like that. It's supposed to like promote listening and it feels very like college. It sounds everyone's. very improv -y, like improv. Very improv -y. But like people who are like thespians or, you know, like they're trying to like get into into acting. Like, why do we act? You know, it's it's, it's pretty cool. And Coppola is a very creative person and he wants like 
new ideas. He wants to do something no one's ever done before. He wants to make, in his words, an erotic nightmare. And he he's, uh, encourages the actors to kind of like come up with their own ideas. How would they say something? Is there something in the book that we're not doing in the film that they want to like put in the movie? And Hopkins is like, I think Mina should, Van Helsing should dance with Mina. And they're like, okay, let's have him dance with Mina. And it's a really weird scene. It, it makes Van Helsing seem less likable. I guess if that was the intent, mission accomplished. <laughs> uh, there's, a, <laughs> there's a story of Gary Oldman suggesting that, oh, wouldn't it be cool if Dracula like has like a wolf form? And then they, they did that in the movie. They have like a bat form for him too. I, I have a hard time believing that that wasn't in the script before he suggested it. But yeah, you never know. How, well, how maybe maybe that part just was omitted in general, and he was like, "No, maybe. we could we could have it here." Yeah, like they make it sound like he's having he has all the makeup on, like he's getting like the old version of Dracula, and he's like, "What if I was like a bat monster?" You know, and then they add it. Apparently, there was like a there's he had to go to the hospital because he was allergic to some of the latex they put on him. Oh shit! Yeah, rough. Uh, speaking of costumes, uh, I believe we mentioned before that the costumes are like super extra in this movie. Oh, yeah. Eiko Ishioka was the costume designer. She, she comes from a production design background. And Francis Ford Coppola wanted the costumes to be the set. The sets, the actual sets are like kind of like not super huge. And in some cases, you can kind of tell that they're shooting on a soundstage. You know, it's like, no, they're not really in front of a mansion, but it's it's painted to look that way. Sometimes you can kind of tell, sometimes you can't. It's just part of like the, the style. But the costumes, that's where all of like the money went. That's where all of the creativity went. Uh, she, she kind of took inspiration from like, okay, let's do like an East meets West kind of thing. Like Dracula's armor in the first scene kind of looks like an armadillo. Also kind of looks like a samurai helmet a little bit. It does, yeah. And... Uh, the Lucy's dress it looks kind of like a snake and it was designed to be more revealing to represent her her uh, confidence in her sexuality Mina's is like really repressed and high necklines so she's going all out on these things she's taking inspiration from lizards to insects especially with um Renfield's Renfield's costumes it's all very insect like because he's the guy that eats bugs you know Uh, and at the Towards the very end, uh, Coppola wanted her to recreate this famous painting, the Gustav Klimt's The Kiss. You, you have like this guy and this woman kind of like in this yellow like collage kind of thing. And you can tell that they're kind of embracing and he's kissing her in the neck. You get that in Dracula's final costume. And if you follow us on Instagram, we actually posted a picture of this costume. And you can look up Gustav Klimt's The Kiss and you can see, damn, they really did turn that painting into a costume. <laughs> oh, it's it's nearly, it works really well. It works really well. And some of the special, well, I shouldn't say some, almost all of the special effects were done in this old way. Because Coppola's, at the end of the day, he's a big nerd. All right, he's, he's a nerd for how cinema and film used to be. And Dracula came out kind of during like the birth of cinema, like 1890, whatever. Like that's when people first started to like tell stories with a visual, with a a film camera, moving picture. You have that referenced in the movie because Dracula and Mina's date takes place in like an old movie theater Mm -hmm. where it's just 
videotapes of people looking at trains going, oh my God, that train's going to hit me. (laughs) But anyway, he took inspiration from the old way to how the visual effects would look in the film. And, you know, it's the 90s. We have like computer technology and the special effects people were like, okay, we can do some of that, but all of that, you're, you're, you're kind of a lot right now. But Coppola said, yes, I am a lot. By the way, you're fired. He fires all the special effects guys and he hires his son. And maybe it's because his son is so talented and he's such a student of, of old Hollywood visual effects. Or maybe he hires someone that won't say no to him. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but you have the all of these like visual tricks that people used to do in films were now done in this film, right? Like I said before, they're not really in front of a mansion, right? It's a painting. So they painted it to look that way and they put that in front of the camera and they have like the perspective all lined up so that it looks like there's a mansion back there. Uh, that scene we mentioned with the the diary and the train, we keep bringing it up, but it's really it's a really cool thing and how they did it was really cool because they wanted the smoke to be on the book, on the diary. And with the little diary, it's like, well, the smoke doesn't really look, it, it's not really catching the the smoke. So what they had to do was build like this giant diary, this giant book and put it out to make it look like it's right in front of the camera. But in reality, it's like 20 feet away and the book is gigantic. So then they have like this miniature train go across some tracks, set up the light, and then it passes through the smoke and puts the, the shadow of the smoke on the book. As he's going along, he's reading his journal. The journal in the bottom half of the frame and the train, and it looks like it's traveling on top of the book. Say, say this is the camera, and the train was about 20 feet away from us. And then the book was put literally, because it was a small book, it was a real journal. The book was put literally right next to the lens. To be able to get the shadow onto a little book like this wasn't gonna work. So Gene, my father, decided, well, what you're gonna have to do is you're gonna have to recreate the book 20 feet away and then use the same train, put one light up, make a shadow of the smoke and make it go across the book. And I'm sitting here going, well, that's gonna have to be like a 20 foot wide book. And Gene says, well, okay. And the scene, maybe the shot lasts like five seconds, maybe less, but think of all that work they used to to get that shot. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. And I think in most of these cases, like these old visual effects work because they add to like the, the flavor of the movie. And then there's some where it's just like, this looks dumb. Why are we doing this? Almost everything that they shot was done on the soundstage, except for one sequence, which is a really interesting sequence because it's when Dracula is, you know, human and he's like walking in the day. He's walking in the streets right before he sees Mina. Uh, It kind of looks like an old timey, like old school movie because like the way people are moving looks weird. Actually shot that on an old Pathé camera, like the old cameras that they used to shoot movies with. They actually found one in good condition and shot it. And they had to like make sure to not do it too well, so that it would look like a modern camera. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's in the behind the scenes, Coppola's like, you can't do it too normal because then it'll look like a Panavision and not a Pathé camera, <laughs> which is. Panavision. I don't know if they still make a lot of fancy cameras anymore. Do they? Are they Panavision? Out of the game? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They 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 still make the they make digital cameras now. Okay. All right. So maybe because of how you know when you do like these old effects, you have to 
you're working with specific perspectives, you know, to, to make sure that the, uh, to capture the shadow while you're filming, you know, you have to like make sure you're moving in the right way and the lights are set up properly. So maybe for that reason, um, everything in the movie was like meticulously storyboarded. They, they knew exactly where the cameras were going to be and where everything else was going to be. And on top of that, you have actors like coming up with new ideas and then they kind of incorporate that into the script. So it's, it's kind of a, a lot. It's like a big production, but they had like a $40 million budget or something. Mm -hmm. This is where all the money went. But when you're doing all this stuff, there's bound to be some friction. In the behind the scenes, you can see Gary Oldman kind of struggle with Coppola because Coppola wants him to like say a certain line at a certain point. And Oldman's like, well, can you put a mark down so I know when to say it? And Coppola's like, you don't need a mark. You just do it. Do it right. It's it's like it's really uncomfortable to watch as like, why doesn't he just put the mark down? I don't understand. Why is he being so difficult? <laughs> but there's some uh, stuff that's kind of like, hmm, Winona Ryder got along with Gary Oldman, but then all of a sudden she did not. Coppola says that they weren't privy to why they didn't get along. Now we, we kind of know that Gary Oldman can be kind of intense. Ryder says that she never really got to meet to the real Gary Oldman because he was always like really in his character. Um, Ryder also dis described uh, not appreciating the way she was directed for certain sequences. There's a, a sequence when Mina drinks Dracula's blood and she's like, take me away from all this death, right? Oh yeah. And Coppola would like yell at her to like try to like get her to, to emote the, the right way. So he would yell stuff like whore. And he wanted Hopkins and Reeves to like yell at her too so that she feels ashamed. And it just did not work. She did not like it. But after talking about this in 2020, Ryder and Coppola both had to like do statements saying that, oh, everything's cool now. And Ryder says that, you know, that the technique didn't work on her, but she's very grateful to have worked for Coppola, which kind of makes me like, hmm, he still has like this like grip on Hollywood. You know, you can't like say anything too bad about him without saying, oh, I was very grateful. He's a mad genius. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? I get that. Um, Makes sense. Yeah. And you can see some of like this stuff that's like, I feel like it doesn't hold up well now. Uh, there's a part where Coppola talks to Oldman. He tells him to whisper things to the cast to scare them. So there's a, they show Gary Oldman going up to whisper things to the, to the cast and they're all blindfolded. Um, and you don't hear what he says. And uh, Sadie Frost, the actress who plays Lucy, describes some of the things that Oldman whispered to her as very unrepeatable. Whoa. I'd like to do a little improv, if I may. Yeah. Gary can come and kind of whisper to you and talk to you and scare them with the force of darkness. Do something you know, private with them and, you know, like trying to just... Uh, be scary in terms of uh, like a force you are and get them all in that mood and just do that and you yourself work for demonic possession you know he would say something really demonic and and twisted and sick <laughs> and uh, he can be pretty twisted and sick Gary and uh, it was really frightening because you didn't know when he was going to pop up in your face yeah it's just it's just something that's like do we really have to do that like I understand like the playing games with improv like it's because it's fun it's a bonding thing and it encourages you to listen but like okay you're dracula say what you're gonna do to her 
you know and like that's but but why why are we whispering it why why well, are you telling funny. me it's funny that because now now because this kind of goes into that the conversation that's been happening recently about like method acting which gold mm-hmm. old oldman very much does i believe he i think he's a proponent for it but I, I feel like most recently you've had a lot of people like like I, I think Jeremy Strong did an interview about his character in Succession, how he like does method acting and how since then a lot of people have either been oh for it or against it. Like you, you have like a bunch of people like Timothy Oliphant saying it's fucking stupid. Yeah. Uh, Colin <laughs> Hanks. There's like a lot of actors that like are chiming in on it. And it's like, yeah, well, I like I like when Timothy Oliphant says it because he's like, well, I watched it in character. And I thought it was stupid, but you know that was my character that said it. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Right. I think he was talking about um, Jim Carrey and Man on the Moon, the Netflix documentary about what it was like working with Jim Carrey for that movie. Yeah, yeah. you have a lot of people who do, but then like you have people like, well, I guess done under the right circumstances, you could get something that's amazing. Like you know, anytime Daniel Day Lewis acts. <laughs> yeah, but- I'm on. I'm on the side of like, why are we doing this? You know, because. That recently, Chris Hemsworth was talking to, in was it to IndieWire? Mm-hmm. Might have been for IndieWire, and he was talking about like his status as Thor, and like he's at the point in his in his life when he's maybe he'll do like one more or something. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about he will never work with like a mad genius director because he says I'm at I'm just at the point in my life where I'm meeting with different directors and people say, oh, look, he's a mad genius. He's mad, but he's a genius and he'll make a great film. Hemsworth said, I'm like, is that who I want to spend my days with? Four months, five months of shooting, and then you've got press and possibly reshoots and so on. Now, if something's going to pull me away from my family and my kids, it's got to be positive, constructive, collaborative experience. I shot with George Miller on the new prequel to Fury Road, and I said to my agent, that's where I want to spend my work hours. Someone who is kind and collaborative and interesting. Well, I think it. I think it's complicated because there are certain instances. I mean, look, the thing about film sets is you're 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 forced to be with people for a short amount of time, working a lot of hours. Even if you have a positive, like even if you're not method acting, stuff on set can just be volatile, regardless, mm-hmm. right? It, I think one of the best things people can do is like putting themselves in an environment where they feel like they're going to do produce good work, you know? Yeah. I think the problem is some people get too carried away and they start crossing, crossing ethical boundaries. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, and I think that's, I think that's a problem, you know, because, and again, look, I'm not an actor, so I can't tell you like, you know, if I'm playing Abraham Lincoln, I'm not going to play like Daniel Day-Lewis, but that's what he needed to, to, to do that role, right? To take it as seriously as he needed to. And, you know, he did a phenomenal job. I'm not going to tell him he did something wrong for taking that approach. Um, but I do think that some people will cross a line. And, 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 and it's not just with method acting. It's like in production and stuff. I mean, you know, you, we talk about Francis Ford Coppola. I mean, he did some questionable things in a lot of his films, you know, Apocalypse Now, the Godfather films, Bram Stoker's Dracula, uh, you know, Marlon Brando did something very, very, uh, very controversial on the film Last Tango, Last Tango of Paris, you know, with the director where there was. Like I, a... I think calling it controversial is a little generous. I feel like it's yeah. just bad, bad. Behavior. Well, especially. Well, that story is bad uh, with Last Tango in Paris because there was a rape scene. And I guess Marlon Brando and the director were like improvising something without talking to the actress. And it's like, yeah. whoa, like you're, this isn't like, I, 
I get trying to like be serious about your art and but like you are crossing ethical ethical lines and it's like you can't you can't be doing that because you might be putting someone in real danger you like you're really gonna fuck them up you know what I mean mm-hmm. and it's it, it does call into question like when is it worth it you know because maybe someone might need a push but that push might be a lot I mean we, we talk about um Shelley Duvall in uh The Shining mm-hmm. And how Stanley Kubrick kind of traumatized her in that experience. You know, she didn't. Yeah, I don't think I, she. I don't think she acted afterwards, or if she did. I mean, she she hasn't acted in a long time. So it is one of those things where it's. I I don't take a stance on either side because I'm sure there are people that are like I love being serious about my craft. I like you know this isn't a game for me. I'm trying to put my best foot forward, and whatever makes you put your best foot forward, okay, fine. But just don't don't push it to the point where you're saying really uncom- unrepeatable things to some of your co-stars. Yeah, I do I do think for this movie at least they had an intim they didn't call it an intimacy coordinator, which is what you call uh what they're called now. Yeah, but they're called now. But before that wasn't really normal, but I think at least at least Coppola had the wherewithal to like hire somebody else to coach them through these scenes. Yeah. They hired which, an acting coach. Which makes coach. sense, too. I don't know why that wasn't, like, more standard practice, because I feel like... Yeah, and it's like, it the way that he describes it is like, oh, I didn't feel comfortable directing young girls during those scenes, so I had someone come in and do it. And it's like, yeah, that's probably a good thing. Well, you know? and I, I just feel like, again, I mean, think about it this way, you know? It's like when you're doing action scenes, you have stunt coordinators, you've got safety people, you've got riggers, like you've got all these different levels to just work on one action scene. When it comes to dance, you have the choreographer, you've got the stand-ins, you've got all these different people, you know, it's like sex scenes should kind of be treated that same way too. It's not just Mm -hmm. like, all right, it's just me and the actors. It's like maybe if everyone consents to it, fine, you know, it's like, hey, this I just don't want to keep it private. But the thing about it though is like someone could be pervy or something could happen. I mean, you're... You're pretending to have sex, like a very intimate thing. Like you, mm-hmm. I would at least, make, I would have thought that it was at least standard practice. And the option would be to omit one if the situation arose, right, in a set. But the fact that that's the that's the go to surprises me. That what's the go to? Not having. Uh, oh an yeah, intimate not having. Like not having one was the was the default choice, and I'm I'm like that yeah. weirds me out because I'm like. Yeah, think about all those movies that had, have existed before that where they had scenes like that. Like, yeah. was, was everybody cool with what was happening? Probably not. But it, you're in a movie. How? What can you say to, you know, you might have your career taken away from you because you were uncomfortable doing something. Yeah. it's Which it's a... is not something that Coppola is innocent of. He, he has told the you'll never work in this town again. And the person did end up not working as an actor anymore. Who was it? Uh, it was a child, a child actor who was a victim of his director. And uh, do you know uh, Frank? Is it Frank Silva? Silva, the director of Jeepers Creepers. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's <sighs> Victor Silva was the the director and screenwriter of Jeepers Creepers, but he also did some horror movies earlier on in his career. And one of one of his child actors was a victim of of Salva. He would like make him do stuff. There's wait a victim of Coppola. Victim of of Victor Salva. Oh, okay. Yes, Victor Salva was convicted of sexual misconduct with one of his uh, underage stars, videotaping him, 
uh, in one of their encounters. And he was he was convicted of child pornography, he pled guilty to lewd and le- uh, lascivious conduct, oral sex with a person under 14, and procurer of child pornography. He was sentenced to three years in state prison, of which he served 15 months because Coppola was his friend. Wait, Coppola was this guy's friend? Mm-hmm. When the kid testified against him, Coppola told him, you'll never work in this town again. Oh, he told the kid. Yeah. And the kid was molested by... Victor Salva, yeah. Oh, my God. I, I feel like uh, how much we're willing to turn a blind eye for for the sake of the art is, like, a problem. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I mean, look at uh, look at what's his name, uh, Weinstein. Yeah, it's it's definitely a problem. And when I see stuff like when I read stuff about how like what he'd have Gary Oldman do to get in character, it's kind of like you don't really need to do that. Like it's I hope things don't happen like that now, but it's kind of I don't know. It it doesn't it, it sounds it sounds like it was it was not a good thing. It definitely doesn't sound like. Uh, like Last Tango in Paris, or like what happened with Cuba's right, right, papers. yeah. But it's, def- but it's, de- I think it, it, it might not be as bad, but it does contribute to this environment and this mentality of we need to do whatever it takes to get the take, and it's yeah. like, what are you willing to bend? You know, you want you want to try to bre- break the laws of physics of technology? Sure, go for it. You know, but if you are like break someone's will. Psych- psychologically speaking if you're just like what are you doing man like yeah like, I, I feel like you you should go you shouldn't like i don't know ruin your relationship with a person by putting them through this really uncomfortable thing you shouldn't do that to, to someone you don't have a relationship no 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 yeah, no, no again look do what you need to do to get into character and stuff like that but respect people at all times like don't be an yeah. asshole it reminds me of like the the stuff that I don't like about movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, it's an unfortunate reminder, but I feel like you kind of need to like, to know about that to, I don't know, to ex- expect well, this, this better stuff has things. To be, from, this stuff has to come out. You yeah. have to talk about this, whether you like it or not. It doesn't matter what you think. You have to talk about this out loud because if you don't, then you got a Weinstein scenario. You got a Spacey scenario. It, it, no, it's. I think it's good to talk about this stuff. It's like important. Because, yeah, you, you can't sh- let shit like that slide anymore. Right, right. No, the day of giving passes to, to Mad Geniuses is over. Like, when I when I watch the movie and I interpret it the way I do, like, it makes sense for me. But then learning about some of the other s- stuff about how what he was having his actors do, I was like, well, is is Sadie being punished by for, for her immorality? Or, or for- Lucy, you mean? Yeah, is is Lucy being punished for her immorality or is the world punishing Lucy because the world is immoral? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it just it just kind of like affects how I I I see the movie sometimes. You it's know, okay. I, I mean that happens. You know, it, I mean the more you learn about something, the more it kind of influences you for better or mm-hmm. worse. So I mean, there was one one thing that I thought was really funny at at the end of the movie. Um, when they screen this movie, you know, Coppola and George Lucas are friends, right? Mm-hmm. We talked about this in the Star Wars episode and he shows it to George Lucas and George Lucas is the movie originally ended with her, with Mina stabbing, uh, Dracula through the heart 
And then she goes out and like kind of embraces uh, Jonathan Harker and they all go off together. And George Lucas is like, how come he didn't cut off? She didn't cut off his head. <laughs> so, they, so they have to like reshoot the scene where she cuts off his head at the end. And it ends with her looking up at the mural, which is a way better ending, I think. Yeah, it definitely leaves it way more up to up, up into uh, interpretation. Yeah, because it's so beautiful and brutal at the same time. And like, I don't know, I feel like not seeing her reunite with Jonathan and all of them kind of you have to like kind of think about how that's going to go. Are they going to accept her? Is she, or what's that conversation going to look like? Like it, it leaves you it gives you room to like dwell on it, I think. Oh, absolutely. What kind of a person 100%. is Mina going to be after these events? Well, know? it's that it's, it's the line that John says, like, let her go. For him, it's ending. For her, it's starting or something like that. Yeah. And Hopkins says, we're all God's madmen now. It's like, ooh, it, it, it stays with you. Yeah. So thank you, George Lucas. <laughs> He's a good filmmaker. I, people give him yeah. too much shit. Yeah. Um. So one of the things I wanted to talk about, w- w- one of the main re- things that I researched on was... The romanticism of vampires, right? That was my big question because, you know, I I mean, we've seen vampire tales and usually it deals with romance, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, wh- where did this come from? I-, I wanted to learn a little bit more about them, especially because this movie is so erotic and so like in it. And I was like, is this like a where did this come from specifically, you know? And apparently like romanticism is like almost built into the vampire legend of folklore right so like Mm -hmm. back in the olden days like in the 1700s even earlier than that there was like you know i found this uh i found this essay by or i found this like thesis submitted to the um the faculty the the university of mississippi right by kate buckley right Mm -hmm. and this was written in 2016 but man she makes some excellent points and like her her uh her essay is called the evolution of the vampire other symbols of difference from folklore to millennial literature and she kind of mm-hmm. talks about how like the the evolving image and uh folklore of vampires right and she kind of has three different chapters the first one's called the folklore vampire the monstrous other she moves on to the gothic vampire the monstrous self and then mm-hmm. she goes on to chapter three the millennial vampire the <laughs> ideal self where she talks about twilight mm. But I really focused on that first one because I was like, all right, what the fuck? Like, is romance inherently built into vampires? And apparently it is. So I've kind of like have a few of her quotes. I'm just going to read this off because I think she phrases it very beautifully. This thing is long. It's 88 pages. Um, <laughs> but no, but I mean, it shows that she cares. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to read it off. It's and I like think the it's... tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. I don't know what the tuition is like in Mississippi, but well, I'll say a thousand dollar paper. I give her an A plus, man. <laughs> okay. So she, she writes, human communities have emphasized the importance of assimilating into the social norms of each region throughout the world. And the vampire came to represent fear of those who refuse to assimilate, symbolizing a host of societal anxieties about sexual, religious and cultural nonconformity. That's a really good quote already. Because, yeah, they do kind of emphasize Dracula's, you know, Romanian um, origin, and like the the people that work with him are the gypsies. You know, it 
it kind of stresses that otherness already. Yeah. Well, and Har does a really good job of that, of creating the other, right? She goes on to say, most commonly ancient folklore associated vampires with recent unusual death, including close relatives and suicides who were believed to have violated, violated church teachings about the sanctity of life. In many vampire te- legends, sexual deviance was another key component of a person's disposition to becoming part of a vampire world. Behaviors perceived as immoral, sinful, and socially deviant were assumed to influence the individual's soul and afterlife. Disbelief held by many communities led them to assume that vampires were contagious and the disease of vampirism could be easily spread both uh, spread as both a physical and moral infection. Matthew Brett Barris Ford uh, notes it is important to understand that there are two types of beings widely denoted as vampires the supernatural and human being such as demons and specters and secondly the revenant a human who returns to the world of the living after death revenant vampires came to be associated with the stories of religious deviants but the most ancient vampire type the demon vampire appeared most frequently in vampire lore that express fears of female sexuality. Ooh. They talk about how in she ta- she goes on to say that like in Greece as early as 40 to 120 AD, they had these like female vampires called the impusas, right? And how mm-hmm. they would lure men in, in with temptation and through sexual advances and the impusas symbolizes cultural fears of the women who violates the domestic codes of a patriarchal society, assuming power through sex and marriage instead of accepting the normally subordinate role of a wife. This vampire is one of the earliest examples of how the vampire legend was used to demonize female sexuality in male-dominated cultures dating back thousands of years. And it's interesting that she brought brings up female sexuality because one of because something that actually predates Bram Stoker's Dracula is Carmilla. What's Carmilla? Carmilla is an 1872 Gothic novella by Irish author Sheridan Le Faunu. I'm butchering it, but and is one of the early works of vampire fiction, predating Bram Stoker's Dracula, which came out in 1897. By 26 okay. years, the story is narrated by a young woman preyed upon by a female vampire named Carmilla. The character is a prototypical example of a lesbian vampire expressing romantic desires towards a protagonist. The novella notably never acknowledges homosexuality as an antagonistic trait, leaving it very subtle and morally ambiguous. So... Carmilla is one of the OG vampires. She's a lesbian, you know? Mm-hmm. And going back to what Kate was writing about earlier about like nonconformity, about against the church's teachings, mm-hmm. like it all makes sense. The church hates gay people. Mm-hmm. It's wild because it's almost like sexual sexuality is almost one of the aspects of it. And look, and going back to Bram Stoker's Dracula, Dracula is horny as fuck and he hates the church. Well, it's, it's, it goes back to why he became Dracula in the first place. Like uh, his his lover, Elisabetta, uh, committed suicide and that was like the big sin. And now she's damned. You know, it's like it's just like that. Now she's outside of God's love. And that's what makes Dracula stab the cross and become a vampire. Absolutely. It's, it's not that he was bitten by a vampire or he also damned and outside of God's love. And they turn him into a vampire. Here, Here's kind of where she starts moving in from that folklore to like Bram Stoker's Dracula. She says, the vampires of folklore are usually characterized as some type of threatening other. 
reflecting the negative consequences individuals would face should they go against their culture's conceptions of acceptable behavior. Although each region of Asia and Eastern Europe had its own folklore traditions and narratives, the vampire lore of these regions would soon reach the Western Hemisphere. As seen but with, Arnold Paul, with Arnold Paul's case, tales of vampirism were soon published and distributed to Western Europe, which would influence the already developing obsession surrounding the vampire character beginning in the 18th century. Symbolic features of folklore vampires such as religious, social, and sexual deviance continued to be a concern in 18th and 19th century vampire literature. The culmination of Victorian societal fears is shown most notably in Bram Stoker's Dracula. So it all kind of just led up, like, you know, it's it, it, all these, like, stories, all this deviance kind of made its way into Europe, and then you've got someone like Bram Stoker's like, all right, I'm going to take it up to 10, and I'm going to embrace it. And, oh, my God, do, do we see it? With folklore, there were so many interpretations of vampirism, you know, the sexual deviance, uh, like, um, diseases. Oh, yeah, there's, like, I feel like Van Helsing's introduction, he's in the, the hospital, or he's like doing a surgery or a demonstration or something, and he's talking about how civilization and civilization have progressed at the same time because mm -hmm. we're not as uh, devout as we used to be. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. That's where that comes from. That's 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 cool. It's nice having the the historical context for that because it just it seems like less of a random scene put in. Well, you know, it, it's, it, it's inherent, like it's inherent to the to one part of the vampire folklore, which is, you know, the disease aspect to it. But I mean, there's there's so much to it, though, that that like when you like start reading like Kate's essay, it's like insane. One, one of the final things, the turn of the 18th and 19th centuries bring about the rise of Gothic literature. Although the Gothic genre arouses horror for entertainment, the fears evoked through the genre's narratives largely reflect serious social anxieties of the time period. In comparison to their folklore predecessors, 19th century, 19th century literary vampires also exhibit a new quality of intense sexual attraction, making them effective symbols for forms of sexuality deemed culturally deviant. By symbolically representing such cultural concerns, Bram Stoker's Dracula became the quintessential vampire legend of this time period, mirroring the uneasiness of society at the time while laying the groundwork for the future of vampire literature. Through the vampire Dracula, Stoker embodies the anxieties of Victorian middle-class culture, including the fears of humanity's animal, cult uh, animal nature, capitalistic greed, homosexuality, and female sexuality. Carol Sands points out the unique terror posted posed by vampire by the vampire because he cannot influence human beings he cannot influence human beings without their consent implying that the deviance of the vampire represents actually lies within its human victims this realization poses the larger threat to society because it because it shows humanity's nature is easily manipulated into deviant and immoral behavior you know, sense asserts uh, Dracula's behavior confirms that he is an internal, not external threat. You talk about Mina, you talk about Mina and you talk about kind of how she seems sexually repressed. Mm -hmm. It's like she was, oh, like, and, you know, and by the end, she like really wants Dracula. And like, even we're calling into question, is she actually um, his lover reincarnated or maybe she's just believing it? We don't we don't know. There's no confirmation of it. But she wants him. She's horny for it. And it's not that Dracula tricked her or anything. 
it's that you know uh, from what I, I i do think that he he does have some kind of like magical influence some over, hypnosis over perhaps people. but yeah but maybe but you can make the argument and kate kind of suggests that you know sometimes the he's just bringing out what she's been wanting you know now she's yeah, just comfortable yeah. saying it out loud you don't know how much influence she has over him or how much it's, influence he has over her yes you, you yes, call that's you, what I meant. you call it to question that and and, and again like i said too she wanted to fuck Jonathan Harker in the beginning with Keanu, but she didn't, right? She's kind She of, wasn't allowed to. She wasn't allowed to. So now you have to call in the question that. And it's almost like it's really eye-opening because it's like vampirism has like a lot of different like interpretations. Like I mentioned before, disease, the church, de- demonic possessions, uh religious, but sexuality mm-hmm. is inherently in it as well. And Yeah. So I, I feel like um there's the the question is like does does this movie uh when you watch it does it does it make you fear sexual expression or does it make you fear sexual repression what is this movie trying to say about it well i don't think it says too much about it because i don't feel like it's inherently repression that concerns me i feel like there are other movies where it's like oh sexual repression is like wait like oh that's clearly like a bad thing i don't know i wouldn't say that it makes it awakens something in me i feel like hellraiser mm. probably did some a, a better <laughs> job of that <laughs> uh, for me i f- i feel like it's the it's saying repression is the bad thing you know because it like everything starts because the church decided mina or elizabeth is going to hell because she committed suicide we're gonna overlook everything else that happened she broke the rule she's she's damned and so that's like the inciting incident right that's what but causes then you, everything but you do also have to think that dracula is is a villain in this movie granted is a, a tragic villain. character and he wants mm-hmm. to seek out this woman that resembles his lover but he is you know he fucks with a lot of people including lucy and it costs her her life so you know that's kind of it's, where i'm like a ping pong ball i'm like yeah, but the what what started everything was that like that moment. Well, the where the he church was doing that was, and and we've even talked about it in Constantine. Like that's a fucked up way of thinking, <laughs> which yeah. the church has like gone back and like rewritten because like, yeah. you know, like the church has mm-hmm. the church is responsible for some really dumb rules, you know. Um, yeah, like I feel like if if Jonathan and and Mina were were allowed to like be together. And not like, oh, Jonathan's got to go do his duty and go make money for somebody else. You know, if he was just allowed to, like, be with the one that he loves, none of it would have happened. Well, and the promise that, oh, when you, you're you going to make partner, you know, that, that, that goes back to some of the capitalistic greed that or uh, capitalistic greed and fears that Kate was talking about. This article, yeah. this, this thesis is incredible. She did a phenomenal job writing this thing. It's long. It's 88 pages, but she talks a, a lot about that. So shout out to Kate Buckley. I don't, I don't, mm-hmm. I doubt she's ever going to listen to this, but you never um, know, man. Maybe, well, uh, I don't know if Twitter will exist <laughs> by the time this episode <laughs> no, comes but, out, but, but it was, we'll it, was a, it was a know. very well-written article. It's a lot. Yeah. And it got me thinking a lot about vampires. And I, now I know more so that sexuality, is very much linked to the existence of vampires and stuff. Yeah, it was just really eye-opening. Yeah, I don't know. Man. What if what if Jonathan actually did it with Mina before he left? Maybe she wouldn't be wanting it from from Dracula. May, maybe, you know? man. I mean, Jonathan Harker, he does not look like a man who fucks with that haircut and everything. Ooh. <laughs> 
he's he's repressed too. Oh yeah, he's repressed yeah. Too. but he's fine with it. Yeah, I feel like I feel like the repression's the villain. That's that's what I see this movie because I don't like it the other way. If you're telling me repression's a good thing, get out of here, man. We're 2022. We're 2022. Repress yourself. Um, but yeah, okay. So let's move on to our quotes. This is the part of the episode where we talk about how we feel about the movie through a quote from the movie. It could be our favorite quote. It could be a quote that we feel resonates with us after the discussion we had, or it's maybe something that just made us laugh. Uh, We do this in lieu of a five-star system because, you know, movies are more than just out of five. How do you feel about it, you know? And it's it's our, like, brand thing, too. So uh, George usually goes first, and George usually breaks the rules. George, what is your quote? Well, I actually only have one quote today. Nice. Uh, and it's uh, it's pretty it's a Dracula one. I feel like it, it kind of mm-hmm. like works hand in hand. And it was just a quote that like I that kind of I felt like it was almost hypnotizing me a little bit a little bit. Mm-hmm. You kind of like lending to that hypnotism that he has. And it's it's a quote. And he says, do you believe in destiny that even the powers of time can be altered for a single purpose? That the luckiest man who walks on this earth is the one who finds true love. And I'm like, oh, damn. (laughs) You know, like it kind of lends to that, like, educated vampire, the romantic one. Like, oh, Mm -hmm. shit, man. Do you want to fuck me? Like, just say so. (laughs) (laughs) So it was, I like that. But I like that quote a lot. Like, I do. And there, there is something inherently very romantic about it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the movie's romantic, but it like that was a moment where I was like, oh, shit, like you're doing a great job at like selling me this. So, mm-hmm. OK, that's a good quote. That's a good quote. I quote because I really love the song from this movie. Mm. It's a great song. So, of course, I'm going to fucking quote the lyrics for this song. Uh, the at the end of the movie, it plays the Annie Lennox song. I think I've talked about it before. Love Song for a Vampire. It was written for the movie. Um, and one of the, the lines in the song that I think is like, damn, that's the movie right there. Um, oh, loneliness, oh, helplessness, to search the ends of time. For there is in all the world no greater love than mine. Oh, I like that. Sums up uh, Dracula's kind of desperation to find his love and to be honest i'm i'm not sure if elisabetta is actually reincarnated in mina i think he just like loves and misses her so much like she's the her death is the reason he became a vampire he's the reason he became this like devil living devil you know that's run amok across transylvania and did everything he did in this movie because of the, the hurt that was in his heart from when she was taken from him and there is something a little bit threatening about it too. Like for there is an all, all the world no greater love than mine. You know that's not like, that's romantic. But there's also kind of like a, the world's a big place. What you know what I mean? Yeah. What makes yours so important? But that's the way he feels. You know. He, yeah. He feels like, I I'm doing this for 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 the right reason. You know. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I feel like of all the the Dracula movies, this is the vampire movies it all kind of all ties back to this this one like there's there's in the interview with the vampire which is very near and dear to my heart that whole series the the 
Vampire Lestat might be my favorite book of all time. But, mm. you know, the the writer for, for this movie read the, the same book as I did. And he was like, you know what? I'm going to do this again with Dracula. So I, I don't know. And, and the song is something that has stayed with me ever since I saw the movie the first time. So, of course, I'm going to quote the song. Hey, no, man, it, it works. It's good. And I like the quote, too. So that's a good one. Thanks. All right. That about does it for our episode of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Hope you can find new meaning in this movie, maybe. Maybe you learned something cool, something to share with friends. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, maybe, <laughs> Instagram and TikTok, uh, at retrograde underscore pod. We like to do like little shorts and stuff, uh, like trailers for episodes you could share with people. Helps people know what we're all about because we love doing this and we want to grow and be a cool podcast that has shirts and merch and stuff. We're going to have a Patreon next year where we will be covering more modern movies. So um, be sure to check us out there. We'll follow us on our socials. We'll tell you all about where, to, where when we'll be starting and what we'll be doing. We will see you in two weeks. Bye-bye.